Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of October 27th, 2022, including Game Pass subscriptions begin to slow on consoles as Phil Spencer begins talk of price increases, potentially. Fallout 4 is getting a free upgrade to current-gen consoles. Is the Xbox Series S holding back the potential game development? All that and more. on this day in Xbox history in the year 2015 I know we did 2015 last year but guys we can't miss out on this opportunity when would you know when else are the days going to align just perfectly that we can do this none other than Halo 5 Guardians released on the Xbox 1 yeah this this day in Xbox history 2015 guys it absolutely hurts me like fucking crazy to think that this game is 7 years old but man oh man I love Halo 5. I know it's never going to be a popular opinion. I don't care. Actually it probably will be because everything that is unpopular becomes popular 10 years later. So 7 years means we're only about 3 years away from everyone suddenly liking Halo 5. I'm ready for it. Let's get that revisionist history going baby. So I'm ready for it. Second best Halo game of all time. Fight me on it. You're entitled to your own opinions. I respect them. But baby, right behind Halo 3, there's nothing better than some Halo 5. I fucking love that game. I'll always remember it very fondly. So welcome to episode 178 of the Xbox On Podcast. For those of you I didn't just lose because your butt hurt, bungee diehards who just can't accept the fact that some people have opinions about 343 that aren't negative, welcome to Xbox On, where we like all games regardless of who develops them, as long as the games are good. Speaking of good games, you may have noticed we opened with Beauty of Annihilation as the song, instead of Set a Fire to Your Heart from Halo Infinite, we did some Call of Duty World at War. That's because it's motherfucking Halloween week. So happy Halloween to all of you who celebrate, and if you don't celebrate it, why? But more importantly, shout out to Halo, uh, shout out to Call of Duty World at War, uh, the original Nazi zombies, which uh, just had some fucking awesome music, which I think is pretty appropriate for the season. So why not use this as an opportunity to play one of the... Uh, in my opinion, one of the most iconic songs of video games for me. Not iconic for, you know, I guess it's a misuse of the word iconic. Iconic for me. Personally iconic music. Shut up, Jesse. Let's talk about Xbox. Let's talk about the world of Xbox news and what's going on with our with our favorite green little brand of console gaming. Guys, we've got a lot of good stuff to get into this week. It's going to be very different, very focused on sales data numbers, which is uh, actually not great for me. Because I want to open this week with uh, a correction. We always start out with corrections, stories of mild amusement, updates, things like that. We usually get a couple of updates. We usually have a couple of stories of mild amusement. We don't usually have a lot of corrections. But this week, not only do we have a correction, but boy, oh boy, we have a really embarrassingly bad mistake I made that thankfully someone wrote in and corrected. And so I, you know, I need to atone for my sins. So... Thanks to Mr. or Mrs., I don't know, Burnfeeling, who wrote in regarding my comments last week on Game Pass's profitability versus sustainability, whatever. I know for a lot of people it's probably tiring to get into this, so I'm not going to get all like up in arms, let's fight over it, but I do want to, we, we have to correct this. I made a huge mistake and it's actually quite embarrassing, so let's, let's address it. Thank you, 
burn feeling for writing in. So last week, for a little more context, Compassionate Choice LLC wrote in and said, Jesse, you're always talking about how you just don't think Game Pass is profitable. You always say, no, it's sustainable, but that's not, that doesn't mean profitability. Do the math, prove it. You know, show, prove me wrong, make, it, make a case. And I thought, you know what, I'm always asking for people to write in, differing opinions, challenge me, let's, let's, let's open up a dialogue. I love it. So I tried to pull up, you know, bust out some fucking head math, a little calculator here, some rough numbers based on basically a bunch of nothing because as a bunch of consumers, we really don't know these things. We're just speculating based on what, what little bit here and there we have. But I tried to come up with some head math. I thought I had actually a pretty decently compelling argument for why I think Game Pass is, of course, sustainable, but not profitable. And uh, I just made one oversight, which is so egregious that it absolutely demolishes my entire argument. So I was talking about, <laughs> basically what I was saying is we, we know that on average, the average Game Pass subscriber is paying about $8 a month per subscription. Now, you're saying Game Pass is 10 or $15 a month. How are they paying 8 well, that's once you average the total number of subscribers and, and compare it to the number of or what people are actually playing, paying for Game Pass when you consider all the people who are in on get your first three months for a dollar and transferring unused Xbox Live into Xbox Game Pass subscriptions and all these different things that make it to where not all of the 25 million people subscribed to Game Pass are paying 10 or $15 a month. So on average, people are paying about eight bucks a month for Game Pass. And I say, you know, you times that uh, by or you, you times that by the number of subscribers, 25 million, you get about uh, $200 million in revenue a year, 100 games on Game Pass at any given time. Let's say it's a quarter of a million dollars for a game. Some are way more, some are less. Conservative number as hell. And we, we just kept going on and on with the money, and I was like, look at that. And once you can, once you factor in the cost of owning buildings, uh, staffing people, healthcare, salaries, everything that goes into it, there's no fucking way in hell. And I, st I still stand by, but we'll get we'll get to that in a minute. I made a massive fucking oversight because I said, well, 25 million subscribers times an average subscription price of $8. Well, that would give you $200 million. Well, good job, Jesse. You just did math for a single month. Now, multiply that by 12 and you get a year, I think. Can you tell I'm not a math guy? I'm really not. I, I had to work my freaking ass off in, in, in high school and college to do well in math because I'm just not. I, I Listen, my majors of literature. What we talk about is our feelings and social movements. That's all we fucking talk about. We do nothing. You know, when like the, you know, the conservative guys get on Fox News and they make fun of all the people in America and say, you guys just want people to forgive your debt because you, you did gender studies and talked about your feelings. Hi, I'm that guy. So apparently. <laughs> uh, anyway. So Burn Feeling writes in, let's read the comment. Enough me trying to soften the blow by giving myself some, some background. Let, let's, let's read the comment. Hey, Jesse, your math is wrong on Game Pass. It's $200 million a month, not a year. So you end up with $3 billion a year. If a game like Starfield costs $250 million uh, and takes five years, you make up for that cost of development in, in a month or two. With the current subscriber number, so if you have four to five AAA games a year, price, yes, Starfield, you spend a billion dollars a year, which is five to six months of Game Pass, and you have two more billion dollars to spend on being in the negative. At an average of $5 million per game, you add 15 games a month, 180, and you earn a spending of a billion dollars in third party. So one billion in third party plus one billion in first party, let's say one billion in marketing and other expenses, makes up way more than enough. Plus, how much more uh, do do they make for microtransactions, online subscribers, gamers spending more money on the store since they're already quote unquote saving with Game Pass. I think they're doing pretty good already. Okay, burn feeling. Great comment. Uh, thank you for pointing out my egregious mistake. Honestly, the fact that more people didn't correct me means one of the following. Either people are really bad at math along with me, people 
are too afraid to write in and say, Jesse, you're a fucking dumbass. And like, you know what? I'll just move on to a, co- uh, a podcast where someone can do at least third grade math. Or the third thing, people are just not making it to the end of the show when we read the, read the comments. So not a lot of people were there to find out that I, I fucked up uh, catastrophically. So thank you, Burn Feeling. Thank you, Compassion Choice. I appreciate the dialogue. I appreciate people being able to uh, write in and correct me when I'm wrong and, and put my feet to the fire. It's, it's what makes, in my opinion, the show more interesting and dynamic. So that being said... I'm going to stand on my feet, on my own two feet here and defend my point from last week. Even though I know for, to you, it's probably like, what the fuck, bro? I just demolished your point. I made you look like a dumbass. Your math is so fucking wrong. How could you still believe what you believe? Listen, there's so many financial factors we can't account for that us going back and forth and doing the head math is just conjecture. And while I think obviously you probably have a better grip on this than I do, since you can actually multiply uh, a, a, a monthly subscription revenue times 12 to figure out yearly revenue, annual revenue. The fact of the matter is I cannot get away from the pinnacle example of subscription-based services and the whole profitability versus sustainability thing. And there's no further you need to look than Netflix. Netflix is the thing that made everyone jump into subscription services. It's the reason why you can't fucking brush your teeth without someone trying to sell you a toothpaste subscription anymore, okay? And the fact of the matter is, Netflix was around for a billion goddamn years before it turned to profit. I, I'm, I, I, I should have probably pulled up these numbers and written stuff down, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't until like the early 2010s when Netflix finally turned a profit. The company was around for like over a decade before it happened. And again, very different company, very different business model in, in, in the sense that we're talking about movies instead of video games and lots of different factors and reasons why money may have been made or not. And obviously Xbox was already an established brand with tons of games they could already use to build off their their. Game Pass catalog, I understand there's a lot of disparities. In a way, it is an apples to oranges thing, but in a way, it's the closest thing we got. And how is it really that much better or worse than us just making up bullshit numbers based on what we assume the cost of owning a game developer and developing a game and all these things cost? You know, because we, we really don't know at the end of the day what all this expense looks like for Microsoft. And all I think about is the fact that movies are significantly more affordable to make than video games. Movies take significantly less time to make than video games require far fewer people to make than video games and TV shows and movies because Netflix is obviously both. Yeah, the, the the turnaround is so much faster. You can put so much more content for the same amount of money in a service like Netflix than you can a service like Game Pass. Although, you know, albeit obviously Game Pass will keep you very busy with one game because games take a lot more, a lot longer to play or get tired of compared to like an hour and a half movie. I get that. But the point is, the cost of operating and injecting money into a service like Netflix is is minuscule compared to something like like Game Pass, where game development is <laughs> it all scales up so much with something like Game Pass because game development is significantly more expensive. But also, I understand gaming is a much bigger entertainment medium in terms of money it generates than something like Netflix. And obviously, you know, Netflix back in the day was like what seven dollars for the longest time and. Game Pass is 10 or 15. So I I understand there are differences, but I just can't get over the fact that if you had asked someone in the year 2009, oh, do you think uh, Netflix makes money? People are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone seems to have Netflix now. It's like, oh, yeah, now we're moving away from mail-in subscriptions and people are just starting to stream it on their Xbox or, you know, they get the fucking website and they do it on their their computer or whatever. And I'm sure a lot of people would have said, oh, yeah, this shit's profitable. No one would have guessed that Netflix was just – it was just shit tons of wealthy investors pumping money into this machine, churning out bullshit content so they could just inflate the subscription count until the point where it finally made money because it's so expensive to operate this service. 
And I just can't help but feel like Game Pass, with games being as expensive as they are to make, must be even more so. Because with Netflix especially, because it, it took a long time before Netflix started making content in-house. For the longest time, it was just like, let's throw a couple million dollars here, a couple million dollars there, get this show on, get that movie on, blah, 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 blah. On Game Pass, you know, their biggest attraction is the fact that they take multi-million dollars, like hundreds of million dollar games, you know, to to put into this service and then don't sell them for a profit. And yes, we know Game Pass subscribers spend a lot more in the store and microtransactions, all these other things. But I just, I it's, it's I'm not a math guy. I know this maybe, maybe makes me look only, only more stupid than I already look by having got my math wrong last week, but... Call it a gut feeling. I just don't believe <laughs> that Game Pass is profitable. Now, that being said, I don't really I like. I don't. This isn't like a point of pride for me. Like if if Phil Spencer like rang me up on my fucking phone today and was like, Jesse, I just want to let you know, Game Pass is incredibly profitable. Check your email. I just sent you some spreadsheets that are going to prove you wrong. Also, please stop st- stop talking ill about Game Pass on the show. You're making yourself look dumb. You're making us look bad. We wouldn't want that to happen. Now, will will we? And then I start to notice there's like a fucking red dot side on my head coming from my window, I'm like, oh, okay, okay, I'll say, I'll say good things about Game Pass, and then I see the red dots that start to go away, and all, the, however it goes, right? The fact of the matter is, I can't get over the fact that this is a gut feeling, and I just feel like Game Pass is not profitable. I don't believe it. However, I don't think it's ultimately important, because the bigger overarching thing is Microsoft has fuck you money. More money than most countries have, more money than the overwhelming 99.9999% of businesses will ever have. Microsoft doesn't have to worry about money. So if they want to sustain a service like Game Pass, whether it's incredibly profitable, a little bit profitable, or it's hemorrhaging money like crazy, it doesn't fucking matter. If this is what Microsoft wants to do, Microsoft can do it. And that's all there is to it. It doesn't matter. But you can't fucking tell me for a minute that every company in games could afford to do something like this. And so it does have ramifications for the industry. Because, yeah, I'm sure Tencent can afford a Game Pass competitor. I'm sure Embracer could afford a Game Pass competitor. We know Microsoft can. But I'm not convinced that it would work out for Nintendo if they did, like, Nintendo Pass. And you you subscribe to it and you get all the little Mario remakes and all the little Kirby spinoffs that no one gives a shit about. And it's just $15 a month and that's it for Nintendo. I just don't... I don't believe that this model works for everyone. And that's the only reason why I really care about this is because it does have ramifications for the industry at large. As it pertains to Xbox and Microsoft specifically, I don't care because Microsoft can afford it and it doesn't really impact Xbox at all. So I don't know, ma'am. I really do appreciate you writing and correcting that. Um, but I, 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 I got it. I just got to stand by it. And also the other factor, and just, and I'll end with this, do not underestimate the cost of owning and operating a developer. We're seeing, we're seeing de- developers, so teams, talent, just being traded, sold, hired, whatever for exorbitant fucking prices right now. It, it's insane. The money that's being thrown around, you know, look to $68.7 billion for Activision. Now we know Microsoft has a fucking war chest that they need to they need to spend because of inflation on all these things. So it's not like that money's coming out of Game Pass subscriptions directly or whatever, but like this this money doesn't come from nowhere. And, and they don't invest in everything with the aspiration of just never turning a profit. So it's you gotta keep in mind, it's like it's so incredibly expensive to buy a developer to pay for and, and look at where video game teams are, especially Western teams, especially American teams or Canadian teams or just these bigger teams. They're all in major cities that are stupid fucking expensive to live in. 
They have massive staffs. Games take, you know, video game teams are like anywhere from like 200 to like a thousand, 2000 people. You know, whether you're talking about like a, like a smaller AAA team, or you're talking about like a fucking Ubisoft Assassin's Creed developer working across multiple teams with two, 2,500 people, whatever. It's just so many people to take care of, so many benefits, so many places to to afford and maintain. It's just it's just not as simple as like the number of subscribers times the subscription cost equals blank. It's like I don't I don't I I don't want to harp on this too much because I I'm, I don't I don't truly believe deep in my heart of hearts that's like I am 100% right and you're 100% wrong. But I do have a gut feeling that I am right that Game Pass is not profitable. And I also feel like I could be wrong. And ultimately, this is just, it's Microsoft. I don't, you know, they just laid off like over a thousand people we talked about the other week. And they, they could absolutely afford not to. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't really care about Microsoft's money. I just, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't really, I really don't know where I'm going with this other than to say, I do appreciate you writing in. I definitely fucked up big time last week with the, with the math. I'm going to stick to my guns. I, I just don't believe Game Pass is profitable. I do think it could be profitable. I do think it's getting closer and closer. And, uh, you know, once you got Call of Duty and Starfield and Elder Scrolls and all that shit rolling in, I don't know, you might start to draw lots of attention. And if we see a day where we get this service on, like, PlayStation stuff, I, I don't know. You know, it, it, it might we might be getting there. But I just don't think as of today it, it is. But thank you very much for writing in, Burn Feeling. Also, feel free to write in again and tell me, if you like to smell my new body wash I bought at Walmart the other day, it's not the normal brand I, I wear, so I would like to know if you enjoy the scent. Thank you for writing in. Guys, let's move into the rest of the stories of mild amusements and updates and whatnot. But before that, I do want to mention, again, we are in the heat of video game release season here in the fall. So a couple games of note that have come out this week. Uh, it's Thursday the 27th if you're listening to this or if you're listening to this the day it went up. Modern Warfare 2 is in its actual full release as of tonight or tomorrow, Friday, whatever you want to say, the 28th, I guess. So campaign's been out for a week and multiplayer is about to be out proper full release. Obviously, probably going to be one of the top top two biggest games of the, of the year. Probably might not outsell might not outsell Elden Ring, but will most definitely outsell every other game this year. So very big game there. Also, last week we talked about it. Arkham Knights is, or no, Gotham Knights is now out. Arkham Knights came out in 2015. Gotham Knights is now out. And this week, Resident Evil Reverse came out. Yeah, Resident Evil Reverse, the multiplayer Resident Evil game that was supposed to launch last year with Resident Evil Village and then got delayed and pushed back again and again and again. Finally out. It's review bombing like crazy. It's not doing well at all. I, I, I was never going to play this anyway, so it doesn't matter to me. But in case anyone out there cared, Resident Evil Reverse doesn't look like the uh, response has been all too hot, uh, which mostly just matters because if this is a game that you are uh, enjoying or you do look forward to playing, um, it, it might not uh, bode well for the future support and uh, viability of this online service. So unfortunate, but, you know, play it for yourself if you want. It, it does come free or it comes included if you bought Resident Evil Village or the upcoming Gold Edition. So... I guess you can get in on it with a little to no investment, depending on if you were already playing or already own RE8. Guys, oh, one more thing before we continue out with story, uh, stories of mild amusement. Sorry, there's a lot going on this week. Please forgive me. I'm very, I'm very emotionally caught up because we talked about Halo 5 earlier. Uh, I was on 
Grim Grinning Hosts this week. I just want to throw that out there if it's something you guys want to listen to. Jesse, what's Grim Grinning Hosts? Grim Grinning Hosts is a podcast hosted by, uh, well, it's hosted by a handful of people, but one of the hosts is my good friend Hunter. Um, it's a host about all things pop culture, horror, amusement parks, a lot of amusement park stuff, theme park stuff, Universal, Disney, that kind of thing. Um, so if you're into any of that kind of stuff, there's a decent chance some of you are because if you listen to this podcast, you know you can't escape me constantly bullshitting about Disney. But if you're into those kinds of things, I was on their show this uh, this past week, and uh, we talked about Halloween candy. We ranked the 25 best Halloween candies of all time for trick-or-treaters, and uh, I, think, I think it was a good time. So maybe you want to check that out. You can do so. It's available on podcast services. Go ahead and support that show if, you, if you're interested. It's a good show. Not in the episodes without me are even better. I promise you that much. But guys, now we will get into continuing with updates and stories of mild amusement. I swear to God, we're getting there. All right, let's start with the one and only update we have of the week. We're talking about the Microsoft Activision deal, but this time it's actually fun. It's actually fun. I promise you it's fun. We're not talking about Sony flying over to Europe and being like, please, please don't let these fucking Americans buy Call of Duty, which is weird because Sony is, of course, a Japanese company, but, you know, they're in Europe, so I guess they all just speak like uh, uh, Americans pretending to be British people in, in Italy and in, in fucking Ukraine, I guess. I, whatever. Uh, okay, the UK, <laughs> from VGC, the UK, speaking of Europeans, the UK competition regulator has started inv inviting members of the public to share their views on Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. And a post on the official UK government website website explaining the second phase of the investigation the comp uh, competition markets authority cma stated that everyone will now be able to give their opinions on whether or not the deal should go ahead this is fun as fuck i love this this is great the cma recently published an issued an issued a statement listing its theories of harm the issues it believes could be potential concerns according to this process one of the issues statement as uh, one of the issues statement once the issues statement is published, the next step is to open the issues to the public. Quote, at this point, we invite anyone, including members of the public, to share views with us. According to the CMA, the issues of harm include the following. Impact of the merger on other console platforms, including, and this is obviously mostly pertaining to PlayStation, Activision games being made exclusive for Xbox, Activision games being made uh, timed exclusives on Xbox, Microsoft making Activision games lower quality on other platforms, such as missing features, Oh, that one's so fucking funny. And Microsoft making Activision games more expensive on other systems. Okay, first of all, that last one, you don't even have to worry about it. That's so stupid. Uh, but that third one is so fucking funny because, you know, this just screams Sony went to Europe and bitched about Xbox buying Activision and not to stoke the uh, console warriors because fuck you guys. Uh, but isn't it just so ironic that they're they're exploring this idea of how how this could impact or harm other competitors like PlayStation if Microsoft were to make Activision games lower quality on other systems, i.e. removing features from competitive platforms. So, like, are you talking about, like, I don't know, maybe a world where, um, like, the next Call of Duty gets, like, some special mode only for Xbox and PlayStation fans can't play it for, like, maybe a full 12 months after the game comes out? Because that would be really shitty. That would be really anti-competitive. You know, that would really suck if I bought Black Ops Cold War as a massive fan of Call of Duty Zombies and was told, oh, yeah, uh, this this Zombies Onslaught mode, it's only on PlayStation for 12 months. That would have sucked. Thank God that didn't happen, right? Most sarcastic fucking wink in my entire goddamn life. So I just love that that one's there because that, that would be really shitty of Microsoft that they did that to PlayStation. Uh, that's that's not the point. The bigger point here is that the public is going to have the opportunity 
to write in and uh, <laughs> and pose their thoughts and opinions on on uh, on this on this deal and how it could be um, harmful or beneficial to the industry at large. I just fucking love this. And then sometime next year, earlier in the year, I think they said uh, in January actually or or March. Uh, yeah, the published the final report will be on March first. Anyway, the public will be able to share their views. Uh, that's it. Okay, here it is. Sorry, the public will be able to share their views beginning in January, and then the official report will be released on March first. So we will be able to write into the UK and be like. We're so sorry that you guys can't keep a prime minister or a queen. Uh, however, uh, Sony should uh, should not lose access to Call of Duty because uh, Sony cannot fucking put out a first-person shooter to save their goddamn life. And also, we want to keep uh, uh, the Activision as far away from Tencent as possible. So here are a bunch of cl- conflicting reports. Also, here's a picture of me doing a backflip. Unfortunately, I don't have the... I, I lack the, the the humor and the, the creativity to do something really funny here. Otherwise, I'd love to. But I, I, I am so happy to know that we are going to reach a point where we're going to have access to this report and we can sift through and see all the absolute monotonous bullshit that people are writing in about. I Like... You, you got to imagine there's going to be some serious fucking like console warriors who are going to write in and be like, like PlayStation fans, like this is unfair. Xbox is monopolizing the market. And then Xbox fans are going to write in and be like, PlayStation sucks. It has all the good exclusives. It has all the Final Fantasy games that Xbox players never even bought and supported in the first place. And it's going to be so glorious to watch the back and forth. And I cannot fucking wait for it. So um, this is fun news. This is this is actually like I'm so tired of talking about the Activision merger. Because as 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 important as massive of a story as it's been, I'm just so fatigued by it. But now that we know that the uh, that the 4chan users of the world are going to get to write in and and say what they got what they got to say about it, I'm just uh, man. I, I don't think you know the internet has been such a beacon of of funny user created content, and I just don't I just don't think even with the the memes, you know, the, the the Reddit memes and the Twitter memes and the YouTube videos and everything of the world that bring us countless hours of wasteful joy and uh, temporal happiness. I still don't think, even with all that, that we are ready for the realities of what this report is going to bring to us in terms of uh, humor and, and entertainment. So March 1st, that's that's the most exciting thing going on in my life. I don't know about you guys, but that's what I'm looking forward to the most. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's move on. Um, hey, exciting news! Uh, Team Ninja has confirmed this week they have uh, an official release date for their upcoming action game, Souls-like action game, Wolong Fallen Dynasty. The game will be officially released just two days after the CMA releases their uh, user statement on the Activision Blizzard deal. Yes, on March third, twenty twenty-three. So on Xbox Series S, X, P- Xbox One, and PC via Windows and Steam, the game will officially come out. The game is also going to launch into Game Pass on consoles and PC as well. So very notable release for Xbox there early in the year next year. Remember the d- the demo's out now. If you want to play it and get a feel for the game, I tried to play it. The demo kept crashing on me, but I am looking forward to this game when it properly releases next March. Nonetheless. Um, pretty cool. A little early hit. It's kind of, it looks like they're, they're kind of vying for that, um, that Elden Ring window, right? Elden Ring came out, I think mid late February last this year, this year. And so it's kind of a similar time period, similar ish genre, kind of a similar thing, except for the fact that obviously 2023, the difference between 22 and 23 is that 2023 is uh, shaping up to be a motherfucking crazy year for video game releases, which is so much stuff. So um, hopefully this game can can breathe a little bit among the competition. But, uh, you know, good thing is we know most things will get delayed. So 
there shouldn't be that much uh, coming out. But as of now, there are a lot of things um, on the calendar, so to speak, for early 2023. And uh, Wolong Fallen Dynasty has put its uh, put its sword in the ground. It's 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 marked its territory. It's made its claim to March 3rd. 2023 so we look forward to playing it next up speaking of games i just you know so much news these days of like so-and-so bought so-and-so and here are some numbers and some profits and some uh, data and some guy who said a controversial thing it's like let's let's talk about video games so i'm trying to look for ways to inject more talk about pure video games in this um video game podcast and um so this week one that i think worth mentioning uh, Redfall got a new trailer. I think no doubt this was intentionally done so to kind of coincide with the Halloween time that we're in because Redfall is definitely a perfect Halloween time video game. And I got to say, I, I've been... Um, when they first announced Redfall with that cinematic trailer, I was like, I, I'm digging the tone of this. I don't. We don't really know what it is. I hope it's good. And then ever since then, every time we've seen it, especially now that we get actual gameplay... Every time we see Redfall, I'm just a little bit more and more just like, oh, uh, this is like one of my most hyped games. And uh, this this trailer really puts it over the edge. This this game looks so good. And the weird thing about it is two very unlike things um, are happening at the same time every time we see Redfall. Where it looks uh, like 50% like any arcane game we've ever seen before. So like even though arcane games do kind of, you know, Arcane's one of those uh, developers where it's like, all their games are different, but also distinctively of the of of that developer. You know, you can't you can't mistake the fact that like Dishonored and Deathloop and Prey are all from the same developer. There's just something about them. They look and feel a certain way that's just so inherently of of that same DNA. Um, so this game looks 50% like absolutely an arcane game. There's no mistake about it. But the weird thing about it is the other 50% of the game just looks like Vampire Left 4 Dead. And, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily that, like, Dishonored and Left 4 Dead are, like, peanut butter and chocolate, you know? There's just, it, inherently, I just don't think those things necessarily complement each other. But everything about what we see, every time we see Redfall, to me, just looks like peanut butter and chocolate. It is, it is, it is a combination where I'm like, oh, this is going to be so fucking good. There's just no doubt about it. The game looks amazing. And I got to say, dude, I'm so tired of things trying to be, like, Halloween-esque or, like, spooky, or, like, you know, fall festive-themed, and it's just always, like, look, you're in a maintenance bay, look, you're in a fucking abandoned warehouse, look, it's the tundra, look, death, and it's, like, okay, but, like, I want it to feel like Halloween, and, and Left 4 Dead had that a lot, the original Left 4 Dead in particular, and, uh, you know, all, all my favorite Halloween-esque things have that, and this game has it in spades, we got a fall festival setting, you know, there's pumpkins, there's a Ferris wheel, there's scarecrows, leaves are losing their, you know, leaves are starting to brown, uh, trees are losing their leaves, everything just looks, you can like, you can smell the fall air when you watch this trailer, if that makes sense, and it just oozes everything I love about the month of October, and uh, combines it with what looks like the perfect, like, spiritual successor slash also evolution, because it's definitely not Left 4 Dead 100%. It definitely looks like it's being its own game through and through while heavily being inspired by games like Left 4 Dead. So it's just, it's in so many ways, it's so many things I want. You know, it's, I, I'm still waiting for Left 4 Dead 3. You know, I, we, all, we, we all thought Back for Blood was going to be it. Back for Blo Blood is definitely not it. I'm hoping War, Warhammer Dark Tide is, is kind of it when that comes out in a couple of weeks. Um, but got everything about Redfall. I just, I got to be honest, it just, 
oh, the enemies look so cool. Um, all the different abilities of, of all the different enemies. The characters are cool. The gunplay looks satisfying. The environments are so perfect. I cannot wait to get my hands on Redfall. I'm going to say it again. I know I said it before on the podcast. I don't care how controversial it is. Of the two big Bethesda games, the two big Xbox exclusives we're getting next year, Starfield and Redfall, don't get me wrong. I can't wait to play Starfield because I, I, I Skyrim in space, that's way more my setting than Knights and Dragons. But Redfall has got my heart a whole lot more than Starfield does, and I just cannot wait to play this fucking game. In fact, this game looks so good, it makes me want to jump back into Deathloop. Uh, right now, even though it's not on the docket, just because I, I'm just so excited to play something that feels like what this game looks like it feels like, and that's like the closest thing I can find. I, I don't know. I'm I'm very, as someone who is days away from Halloween, very much at the height of my, you know, that Halloween spirit, jonesing for something like Left 4 Dead, something to capture that kind of magic and bring it to the forefront in a modern, uh, unique kind of game for for current hardware. Nothing has done it like Redfall has, and I'm just uh, I'm just looping. The trailer, as I speak to you right now, just the game just looks so stunning, so fun. And uh, that's Redfall, man. It continues to look phenomenal. Um, man, I wonder when we're going to get a release date for that. I feel like they could give us a release date earlier in the year because they're probably planning to put this out sometime in the summer, but I guess I guess we could be wrong. I, you would think that they'd want to get this out. You would think they'd want to get Redfall out maybe between like... And this is kind of a wide window, so somewhere between... May and August. That's basically just me saying all summer, right? But I feel like in particular, you know, there's usually a couple big games around late May, um, as we've seen in, in recent history. And so I feel like this game, I could see it being like a May 27th, you know, just a random number kind of release date. But I could also see it being like uh, mid-August, like an August 16th kind of game. So I, I really don't know, but I, um, you would think they'd want to get it somewhere like that so then they could you have Starfield in the fall time because, dude, no doubt, Starfield is getting a full year's delay. It's, it's coming out next November, I'm, I'm calling it. I know there, people are probably hoping it's coming out sooner. I, I think Starfield is next November, uh, no doubt. So, man, I, I fuck, I just, I want to play Redfall. It looks so good. Uh, the other trailer we got this week, and, you know, fit, also fitting for the season, uh, we got a pretty good gameplay look at Resident Evil 4 Remake, uh, which I know a lot, a lot of people are excited about. Resident Evil 4 is a massive blind spot in my gaming uh, backlog where I've never played Resident Evil 4. Um, I was actually hoping to play it for the first time with my Oculus Quest 2. Fuck you, I'm not calling it meta because uh, I can't get in the habit of doing it. Not because I'm trying to be rebellious, but Meta Quest 2, Oculus Quest 2, whatever. Uh, but then they announced the Resident Evil 4 remake, and I'm like, ah, maybe, I'm, maybe I should wait for this. And I don't know, but the, uh, the trailer, no doubt. The gameplay trailer they showed looks very good. It's a... Uh, as someone who's never played Resident Evil 4, it looks like everything I've ever seen of Resident Evil 4, but with everything we love about the Resident Evil 2 and 3 re remakes in the past few years. So it looks no doubt like the definitive way to play this game if you've never played it before like me. Like, why would you not play it this way? But at the same time, dude, the opportunity to play it in VR. I don't know. Um, it, another one of those like, oh, it's, it's unfortunate this game isn't coming out now because wouldn't it be perfect to play a game like this right about now? Um, but anyway, game looks really good. Uh, we have a date on this, don't we? Yeah, March 24th. So that's coming out in March as well. Told you it's a busy early next year, I'm telling you. So uh, yeah, the game's looking great. I'm less enthusiastic about that just because to me it looks like Resident Evil, uh, whereas Redfall is like, ooh, that, that looks like something I've been, like my heart has been yearning for. So Redfall, super excited about. Resident Evil 4 looks great. 
Got a lot of good games coming on the way, guys. Get, get why, why, why? I see you guys. Stop fucking flirting, flirting with people on Tinder, trying to boo up. Stop doing that. Stop, stop impregnating people or being pregnant and having kids. Stop advancing in your careers. You guys are wasting perfectly good opportunities to play these upcoming video games. The more you develop relationships and have children and progress in your careers and become an, an important, busy worker, the less time you have to play Redfall. So think about that next time. All right, last last one, I guess. Uh, we got two more before we jump into the actual news this week. First one is a double hitter, uh, a double header um, of Age of Empires news. Although uh, we're gonna go through it pretty quick because this is just uh, not my not my not my thing here that I'm, I'm really prepared to talk about. But uh, yeah, from VGC this week, Microsoft held a um, Age of Empires uh, event, and uh, during the event, they announced that. Age of Empires 2 Definitive Edition and Age of Empires 4 are coming to Xbox consoles and and Xbox Cloud Gaming in 2023. Uh, so for those so for those on console who've always been curious about these games or just haven't played these games in a long time, whatever the case may be, you'll finally be able to play Age of Empires on your Xbox with mouse and keyboard support. Very important to note. Uh, I, I can't imagine it would control well on an Xbox controller. Uh, these games are not optimized in any way for console, so probably going to want to play mouse and keyboard, no doubt. Uh, but they, the announcement quote came with, uh, "We are considered. We also consider the functionality of Xbox players have come to accept expect from their games, and so we will include an optional crossplay between platforms, allowing for you to play with your friends on Xbox and PC. But we're also bringing the game to Xbox Cloud Gaming Beta, allowing players to continue their empire building even when they're away from their PC or Xbox." The news was made during the 25th anniversary broadcast, which we talked about for Age of Empires. Age of Empires 2 Definitive Edition was originally released on PC back in 2019 and is a remaster of the 1999 game, featuring significantly improved graphics, support for 4K resolution, and, and the previously released expansions. Also during the event, the other big announcement made, World's Edge, the team behind Age of Empires, announced that Age of Mythology retold a remaster of the 2002 strategy game is uh is coming it's it's on the way quote bringing the definitive edition treatment to age of mythology the game will feature beautiful graphics updated gameplay and more the developer said we also know that age of mythology's community has been hopeful waiting for a definitive edition and we will be delivering just that we're working hard to bring you the glory of the original game with updated graphics features and more so stay tuned for additional information a spin-off of the age of empire series age of mythology takes inspiration from mythology and legends of the greeks egyptians and norse rather than of historical events so, again, this is a series that's very much outside my wheelhouse. I'm sure for many of you, especially if you're primarily console gamers, this is something very far removed from most of you. Age of Empires is like one of those games I feel like everyone has been exposed to, especially Age of Empires 2. It's like everyone's been exposed to it. Maybe everyone's played it. I know like a lot of, a lot of people seem to have played it on like computers at school at some point during their youth. But uh, it is, it's, it's kind of like Flight Simulator. It's like one of those things. It's like, oh, yeah, this was like a Microsoft game before Xbox weird and now it's just like they're kind of bringing it back from the dead and it's cool it's it, it's awesome to see them support their their past like this and, and pay homage to their heritage like that with xbox and with microsoft's like gaming initiatives and to bring back this game for people who love it so much and to see them do the thing that xbox is so well known for these days which is just take anything they own and over support it to the nth degree like 
hey, this game that we have no business going back to visiting, free 4K patch, free 60 FPS patch for Series X. Fuck you, it's free now, and it's also on PC, and it's also on cloud gaming, and we also added touch controls, and we also added uh, the double credits for people who love the credits so much that they want to watch it twice back-to-back. Fuck you. And then PlayStation's over here like $70 for a remake of a game from three years ago, and Nintendo's like, here's the Mario remake bundle. You can buy it for four months, and then after that, Fuck you, it's never going to be sold again. Wahoo. That's Chris Pratt talking, not me. And uh, I, don't, I don't know, it's just, we continue to see Xbox be the one who spearheads like this uh, kind of preservation of gaming and and just uh, overly fan service shit and just do it to the nth degree to the point where we're getting Age of Empires on Xbox. It's something that not many people are asking for and really it's, it doesn't make a whole lot of a difference in the world. Like for people like me, I don't give a shit about this. This is not a game for me. But at the same time, I can't help but admire just how dedicated they are to continuing to support these games and these and, and, and these fans and pre- preserve their legacy, preserve their past. Now, can we please, PlayStation, can we please, for the love of God, get a Resistance Trilogy remake? Please, for the love of fucking Christ, I would love to play those games again. I really, really miss those games. Why can't we play those games? All right, that's going to be our second to last story of mild amusement because goddamn there's so many things to talk about this week guys we got one more mild amusing mildly amusing story and it's a uh, it's an unfortunate one but rocksteady co-founders Sefton uh, Hill and Jamie Walker are leaving the studio, they have announced this week. In a letter posted by Rocksteady's website, David Hadid, president of WB Games, made the announcement, quote With Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League nearly finished, they both decide to leave Rocksteady at the end of 2022 and will begin a new adventure in gaming, the letter reads. We have the utmost respect and gratitude for Jamie and Sefton and wish them all the best in in their new endeavor. And like many fans, we look forward to what they do next. So these guys have been here since the start of Rocksteady all the way back in the early 2000s and have been together even before that with other initiatives. So this is a huge deal. This is kind of like a rock star losing um losing their head guys and and now Rocksteady is kind of doing a similar thing and the the timing is uh <laughs> maybe not so great in terms of the the optics because obviously even though these guys are not the ones behind um Gotham Knights you know there's a lot of heavy association these are the guys who do the Arkham games or the Batman guys and uh, you know if you're WB you don't love that the kind of media and the press that um Gotham Knights has been getting and then you got the guys behind the A-team of, of Batman developers, uh, Rocksteady, the guys behind the Arkham games who are doing the Suicide Squad game right now, and now they're losing their their guys, and it's just a whole lot of... The, the bigger he- thing here is, you know, that's, that's whatever, that's the passing by thought. The bigger thing here is that for both Rocksteady and WB Games Montreal, the ones behind uh, Gotham Knights, both of them have taken so fucking long to put out a game. You know, uh, for Rocksteady, it was... Arkham Knight, uh, yeah, Arkham Knight in 2015. For WB Montreal, it was, what was it, Ar- Batman Arkham Origins? And what, God, what year was that? That was like 2013, 2012 or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a long-ass time since they put out a game. And uh, for both these teams, and yeah, we just got we just got um, Gotham Knights from WB Games Montreal, which we're going to talk about some of the woes surrounding that game in a little while in the news. Um, so we'll we'll table that part of it for now. And then you know, 
with Rocksteady, this the Suicide Squad game, it's like, yeah, it looks phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. Like, unlike unlike Gotham Knights, this is a game that I'm not just interested in. This is a must play for me. This game looks great. Um, but dude, it took you like 12, 13 years. Or yeah, what no, no, not not 12, 13 years. It took you like eight years. Um, 2015 to 2023. Please forgive me, guys. I'm really bad at math, apparently. Uh, but yeah, like eight years later to put out another game, it's just, it's not great. And so you got to wonder if there's just been severe mismanagement or just uh, some some interference from the publisher or just something happening that all these developers working on these Batman licensed games are just really not not optimally performing and now they're losing their their, their co-founders and all this shit and it's just not a great look obviously it never is and and sometimes there's no there's no controversy around it sometimes it's just like hey we've been here a long time we've been working on this thing for a long time we're ready to move on to what's next and hopefully maybe that's all this is and you know we wish Sefton and, and Jamie all all the best but at the same time, you just can't help but wonder. You know, this game is just about out the door. I don't think there's a real hamper on Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, to be honest, because the game is pretty much done at this point. It's, you know, it's it's past the point of where their involvement would make or break this game, I, I would assume at least. And uh, so I'm not really worried about how this affects the game so much, but it obviously has massive effects on the studio, and um, it, it just makes you wonder. This game's taken so long to come. And now the the guys, the, the visionaries behind the team are, are leaving, um, basically just as soon as they can get out of here at the end of the year. And I don't know. It's just uh, makes it makes you wonder. I think this game is going to be great, but I wonder if we're going to be able to see kind of the seeds of um, or or the traces of all the behind the scenes trouble that 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 seems to have been going on behind these teams with these Batman games. Like I said, we'll get into a little bit later. Gotham Knights certainly has lots of traces. It seems in it in its uh, in its final product that that show the belabored development beleaguered development I should say. But anyway, obviously wishing them all the best. We'll see how that goes. I would be sick of working on uh, you know Batman or DC games if I had been doing it since what the first Arkham game came out in two thousand nine. You assume that game was in development for like what at least three years. Yeah, these guys have been at it for like <laughs> a long long ass time, fifteen plus years. So good for them. On to bigger and better things. Hopefully. And we'll see where that takes us now. Guys, that's it for all the stories of mild amusement updates, corrections. Corrections, can't forget about those. Next, let's jump into the news. But before we do that, we talk about the games we've been playing this week. So we definitely got some stuff to talk about here. But before we talk about the games we're playing, guys, I want to talk about what I've been eating. You know how it goes. We always talk about what I've been eating. But before I can tell you about what I've been eating, wait, Jesse, what are you doing? This is unprecedented. Yeah, I know, motherfucker. Buckle up. Before I can tell you about what I've been eating, I want to tell you about an opportunity to be eating. That's right, guys. For the first time ever on Xbox On, I have a legitimate ad read. That's right. Mom, you said I'd never make it. Dad, you said mom was right. I'll never make it. Dog, you said I'll never make it and then got hit by a fucking car. And we're still right, but I got an ad read. This is a, a shout out, actually, for those of you who live in the Orlando area. And at first I was dubious about doing this because I was like, who the fuck listens to Xbox on and lives in Orlando, Florida? And then I looked at my uh, my, my numbers and all that stuff. I'm like, oh, surprisingly, a, a, a decent enough percentage of people who listen to the show actually live in central Florida. So it's uh, a little concerning to know the people among me might be listening right now. But hi, neighbors. Uh, we got a little something for you. So. 
This is, this, this is an ad read for Flex Markets. For those of you in the Orlando area, for those of you who aren't, maybe skip ahead 30 seconds, but this Saturday at the Credo Market in downtown Orlando, Florida, will be an outdoor farmer's market called Flex Markets. This is actually being uh, spearheaded by one of my one of my buddies from uh, that I used to work with, uh, Danny. He and his uh, co his business partner will be going in on the uh, on their new venture, this Flex Markets, which is uh, starting this Saturday at Credo Market in downtown Florida, uh, Orlando, Florida. The farmers market will s offer a variety of vendors to shop and uh, peruse through, including, and this is the most important part. Including local food vendors. You motherfuckers, don't you understand what this means? Come and experience the taste of Central Florida. You may, you might be wondering, what the fuck is the taste of Central Florida? I don't even know. We're talking about alligator butts. We're talking about fucking eggs with sulfuric acid. We're talking about Florida man jerky. I don't, it's all there. It's all good. It's all fresh. It's all delicious. It's all local homegrown shit. But uh, actually, this is a this is a place I, I I myself have been meaning to check out is is the Credo Market area in downtown. I never go downtown because I'm just so far away from it. Living in, in Disney's butthole, I just not really there. But I have I have wanted to check this place out myself. Seems like a pretty cool uh, community. Um, this and uh, this this market I think is a is a perfect fit for it. So I, I do love a good weekend farmers market type event. So. I, in fact, have one not too far from me I, I often go to. So this will be fun. I'll, I'll have to make my way out and experience this for myself. But if you are in the Orlando market and you want to try a bunch of awesome food from local vendors, try and shop and support some local vendors here in the Orlando market, you know, help your neighbors. The economy's getting really rough out there. If you got if you got the time and are looking for something fun to do this weekend, why not go out there, support your local economy, support your local neighbors and their business ventures, and let's all shop and dine and splendor together at the Flex Markets, Credo Market in downtown Orlando, Florida, this Saturday. Baby, what you got? All right, continuing on with our what I've been eating, guys, is none other than Chicken Guy. Speaking of local eats, Chicken Guy is a chain restaurant from New York City, headed up by celebrity chef Guy Fieri. In 2017, 2018, something like that, celebrity chef Guy Fieri opened a an additional, it was like the second or third Chicken Guy location here at the Disney Springs Shopping Dining District, and I had the pleasure of eating there for the 100,000th time of my life this past weekend, and I just want to give a shout out to the chicken guy. For those uninitiated, yes, Celebrity Chef Guy Fieri, it's like a fast food chicken restaurant from him. But here's the thing about the chicken guy, and I say this every time, chicken guy, and it's growing, just so you know, check out your local city, you might be getting one in, in, in the coming months or year or so, they're expanding like crazy, actually, we got, I think, two or three of them in Florida now, uh, but chicken guy... Is basically like, what if Chick-fil-A was, instead of being, like, really good, being, like, really great? Chicken Guy is so fucking good. The chicken is incredible. You can get it as tenders or you can get it in the sandwich. I always get in the sandwich, and then it's all about that Guy Fieri sauce bullshit. They got, like, 30-something sauces on, on tap. They're not really on tap. You order them. They put them in a ramekin for you. It's not like beer. Uh, but the sauces are amazing. You got the, the donkey sauce. You got the different spicy ranch sauces. You got the sriracha aiolis. You got the fucking the, the doo-doo dds, the poo-poo peepees. They're all so good, though. You put them on your chicken. You put it on your mac and cheese. You put it on your fucking chicken tenders. You put it on your french fries. You put in your smoothie if you're an idiot. They don't have smoothies, but they do have milkshakes, and those look pretty good. I've never had one because I'm not looking for a, uh, an afternoon on the toilet bowl. But they have so many things, and it's the only way you can eat at Disney at an affordable price. I'm talking like... I'm talking about like seven, eight dollars for 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 like a meal, basically. It, no, no, no. I think if you get a, a drink, it's like a like a ten dollar combo. But at Disney World, that's fucking unheard of. Okay, you got to understand, it's insane value. 
And the chicken guy just continues to be one of my favorite places, so much so that I waited in a 20-minute line just to get in an order. But it was worth it. It was worth every minute I stood in that excruciating Florida sun and read Sonic comic books in line while I waited for the opportunity of a lifetime to eat chicken guy for the hundredth time. Shout out to the chicken guy. Shout out to my buddy Danny and his new business venture with Flux Markets at the Credo Market in downtown Orlando, Florida. Check it out. Eat some fucking food. And if you're not if you're not indulging in the local flavors of Orlando, are you really eating? As they say in California, probably. All right, now that's it for what I've been eating and for what I've been advertising, but let's talk about what I've been playing, because after all, this is a podcast about video games, I do suppose. Well, this past weekend, I played the Modern Warfare 2 campaign. Remember, if you pre-order the game digitally, you got the campaign a week early, and that's exactly what I did, because, as I said time and time again, I quite like Call of Duty campaigns. I find it to be very fun, six-hour action movie romps. I think it's a, it's a good time almost always, even last year with Vanguard. For as much as I hated that game and I don't like its campaign, still had fun playing it. Um, Modern Warfare 2's campaign, boy oh boy. I kind of wish I got to talk about this a couple days ago because I did beat it in like one and a half days. And I, I had a lot of things to say about it. You know, I thought about it a lot throughout the weekend. I went back and pl- replayed a lot of it, was doing some achievement hunting. Um, and uh, I I had a lot of thoughts on this. And, I've you know, the more the week's gone on, I've just been dragged down with my brain just thinking about work and other things I've... I have less to say about it now, which is unfortunate, but Modern Warfare 2, the campaign at least, because the multiplayer is not out yet, it's kind of one of the more confusing Call of Duty games I've ever played, because on the one hand, I want to say, this was a lot of fun, I really enjoyed it. If if you're picking up Modern Warfare 2, don't sleep on the campaign, it's a great time. But on the other hand, I want to say, what the fuck did I just play? (laughs) This game has so many, it's, it's... It kind of reminds me of Halo Infinite a little bit, and I'm not comparing it to Halo Infinite like one-to-one, because Halo Infinite is a really good campaign that pisses me off because it tries to forget in retcon Halo 5, but it is a really good campaign. Modern Warfare 2 is not a really good campaign. Modern Warfare 2 is a really fun weekend game that you'll probably move on from and forget about at some point in your life because it's not like a, 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 a you know, it's not like a fucking like seminal at Paramount game or anything like that, but it's a really fun weekend game. And, and I guess this is my, my thing is I really appreciate that the game tries to be very diverse in its gameplay. It tries to not be like, let's let's do too much just, you know, shooting and running and gunning and, and fighting bad guys because Call of Duty's gameplay loop is really, really addicting on multiplayer when you know you're playing against other people and you see the numbers pop and you get kill streaks. But it's kind of really fucking boring when you're playing against AI bots on medium difficulty in campaign. And so that's usually the weakest part of Call of Duty is just the mundane, just monster closet running through just endless hordes of enemies and this game actually keeps the gameplay quite interesting by trying to just do a lot of different things i saw a comment on youtube that actually put it quite nicely it's like it's trying to be like titanfall 2 titanfall 2's campaign is famously just so fucking good and every level has a different kind of like idea or gimmick or or gameplay mechanic to play with and then the next level just drops and moves on to the next thing almost like a nintendo game it's one of the things nintendo does best is they come up with like fun unique mechanics and they just find a way to spin it on its head a hundred times and do different things with it titanfall 2 did that beautifully and modern warfare 2's campaign feels like it tries to do that but fails at it it's weird where like 
it's I appreciate that every level feels different. The setting's really different. It feels like I'm doing different things. Like th- there's a level that's like really walking simulator like, very narrative driven. There's a level that's like you're directing a you know you're you're using security cameras to direct a guy like tactically to like take out enemies and and plant bombs and shit on these different vehicles. There's a level where it's like you're hanging out of a, a fucking helicopter shooting and then you're like hijacking cars and stuff like that. And so it's like lots of different shit you're doing and it feels really cool. Lots of stealth, which I don't appreciate. I feel like this game tries to be too stealthy with some of its levels. Like, one or two would have been okay, but this game is, like, almost 50% stealth, which is kind of annoying. But I appreciate the diversity and mechanics and, and, and approaches to how they do the game. But the problem is most of these mechanics just don't really pan out. Or they are fun for a little bit and then get old. Like, for example, the, I think the best example is the level where you start out in the helicopter and then you're basically just like vehicle hopping, like hijacking vehicles and taking out enemies. It's like that level starts out and it's so fucking cool. You're like dangling from a fucking, I'm not going to spoil the story or anything. Don't worry. I'm not, I'm not going too too far into it, but like you're falling out of a fucking helicopter shooting bad guys upside down. And like the graphics and the presentation are amazing. And it's so fun. It looks like really cool. And then like you cut yourself loose and you hijack a fucking pickup truck. And then you can like aim out the window of your pickup truck and like just blow up enemies in the vehicles ahead of you. And it's like really cinematic and it feels really cool. It's a really fun set piece moment. It's awesome. It's completely awesome. But then it runs really thin because the level or that at least at that segment could be like five minutes and it would be like, wow, that was such a cool moment. But no, it's like 25 minute level of just like now you're hijacking the next car. Shoot enemies, shoot enemies, shoot enemies. Okay, your car's about to blow up. Make sure you jump ship to the next car. And it's like, uh, okay. okay, driving's not really the strong suit of Call of Duty, although it does feel improved in this game over other Call of Duties. But it just kind of feels like you're playing Warzone at parts where it's like, you know, there's like armored guys and you're just driving vehicles and like all this stuff. And there's like crafting and collecting items. And I'm like, what what is some of this? So some of it just feels weird. Like the levels where you have to do some crafting, it's... It's very light and easy to do, but it also just doesn't really feel all that necessary or beneficial to, like, the gameplay in any way. And I don't know. It's like it's weird because, again, the game is so varied, and it, it, it really helps keep the game fresh from start to finish. Like, I enjoyed all six or seven hours I spent running through the game. But at the same time, it's like none of it is particularly good, and a lot of it overstays its welcome. The other thing that's wrong with it is the game just has like some severe like weird difficulty issues where i can't believe i'm saying this i always play call of duty campaigns on regular because again i just want it to be a dumb action movie i'm not looking to like grind my teeth or anything but like the time to kill is extremely low or high in in, the, in this game uh, more so than any call of duty i've ever played before and that translates really kind of okay you know it's it's acquired taste in multiplayer but it, it translates very poorly in 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 campaign where like an enemy sh- you're on regular mode and an enemy shoots you like once and you're dead and you're like wait what the fuck i'm on regular mode why the fuck why why am i dying so much why am i dying so easily and i'm not saying like this game is hard it's not like a fucking souls game or anything but it's by call of duty standards you know, playing the game on regular mode on campaign, I died way more than I normally do in a Call of Duty campaign. It's just, it's a little weird. And then it borrows, like, all this stuff from Warzone where, like, there's enemies with, like, heavy armor and you got to take out the heavy armor and all this shit. And I'm like, I, I don't love this. I don't love this at all. So there's just a lot of little decisions like that that kind of bring the game down for me. And it's unfortunate because Modern Warfare 2019, 
surprised the hell out of me. In fact, that's I mean that's the game that brought Call of Duty back for a lot of people. It's why I've, Call of Duty's been like kind of back in the limelight for a lot of people is because Modern Warfare 2019 was surprisingly great, and Warzone obviously was a big thing for a lot of people as well. Um, but man, I, where I would have said Modern Warfare 2019 by standard of like Call of Duty campaigns was like a eight and a half or a nine out of ten, like really good time, really cool story, likable characters, fun set pieces, cool game. Modern Warfare 2 is like a 7 out of 10, you know, and I don't really like to use the IGN number scale all that much, but I feel like in this case it kind of just paints the general idea that, like, it's weirdly a step down. It's still a good game. Like, like it's fun. I don't regret playing it. I enjoyed it. And, and but it's like, what did we do? And narratively, it's really odd where I feel like they set up all these characters in, like, Warzone and shit, and now that's what they're focusing on for the game. They're like, oh, it's like Soap and Ghost and, and Price and all these guys. It's like, yeah, I know them. Like, they're the Modern Warfare guys. It's cool. And you're like this task force. And it's like it's like very like it's the most black ops a Modern Warfare game has ever felt, if that makes sense, in terms of like what the story it's telling. It's like globetrotting and you're with your squad and it's like undercover shit and all this crap. Kind of feels like a black ops game a little bit in that way, but it's not and it's weird because you're just completely ignoring characters from the prior game and so i just there's so much going on it's just it feels messy and i just felt like you know it's like why why did we even i don't know i don't want to dwell on it too much this isn't like a spoiler cast or anything this is just my impressions of the modern warfare campaign the story is weird because like the characters are really cool in the game like i like the characters i like a lot of the new characters i like the dynamic and the interaction between the squad members and i like that the game has a very like last of us or uncharted kind of thing where there's constant dialogue the characters are always talking with one another so you're always picking up on the context of the world and the characters and their situations and it makes the characters a lot more livable like likable um realistic and just it makes the game a lot more pleasant like i really enjoy this aspect but all all in all i can't get over the fact that it's like there were all these plots in the last Modern Warfare game. There were all these other characters in the last Modern Warfare game. And it's just like, what about them? <laughs> this game might as well just not even be called Modern Warfare 2. It might as well just be called Modern Warfare 2022. You know, you might as well just fucking... You know, there's Modern Warfare 2007. And there was a trilogy that followed. Or, you know, was part of that. Then there's Modern Warfare in 2019. And then there's Modern Warfare in 2022. And there are three different iterations of Modern Warfare because this game has almost nothing to do. It's in the same universe. It's definitely a continuation of the first game. It definitely continues some plots, some ideas, some characters. But it also just abandons a bunch of other stuff. It's kind of like, I hate, I hate to use this example because I know it's a, such a controversial one, but kind of reminds me a little bit of like Star Wars, um, Star Wars the, the Last Jedi. And that it's like, whether you like the movie or not, it's not really a comment on whether this movie's good or this game is good. It's just, it clearly diverts from a lot of what the game before it's set up narratively. And that's just weird. And I guess that's why I brought up the Halo Infinite thing is because Halo Infinite, it, it, it talks about things from Halo 5 a little bit, but at the same time, it tries to tell its entire other story. And it's so frustrating because you're like, what? Wh why? Why are we doing this? So I don't know if they're planning on like carrying out the story in like season two and Warzone season seven and all that shit. But like, I I don't want to play that way. Like, I want to play the campaign and get a fulfilling, gratifying, complete story on its own. So I don't know. It's cool. It was a fun time. I enjoyed it. I really like the characters. I really like a lot of moments in the game. I just feel like there's a lot of ideas that overstay their welcome. There's a lot of weird design choices, things that seeped in from Warzone that I don't appreciate, and just complete negligence and erasing of things from the prior Modern Warfare that I feel like were unnecessary because the last Modern Warfare was really good. So 
I don't know. All in all, it was a fun time. I like Call of Duty campaigns. There, it's like a Marvel movie to me. I'm not gonna watch it and leave the movie theater just like heavy thought. Just like God, that that movie impacted me. Like I'm a different person because I watched Ant Man three. You know, it's not like that. You know, but it is like that was a really fun Saturday afternoon. I'm I'm glad I played it. And it definitely got me hyped for multiplayer, which I'm going to play, hopefully, a ton of this weekend. So that's Modern Warfare 2. It doesn't seem like a lot of people in the Xbox On community were playing. In fact, it's it's weird because this game it, is doing great. Like, the concurrent player base on Steam for the campaign alone was really massive. And I, and I love that because I, I think this kind of pre-order and get early access to the campaign thing solves the campaign issue Call of Duty's had for so long, which is that usually these games have really good campaigns and people don't pay attention because multiplayer. And by doing this, I hope I know Cronky, you were not a fan of this, but I hope they continue to do this because I, I want to see this be the norm where like everyone's eyes are on the campaign and people actually give it a fair shake and, and try it and enjoy it for what it is because the campaigns in Call of Duty games are usually pretty damn cool. And uh, it's just a shame that generally people don't really get to appreciate and, and experience them. And this time, this time, that's not the case. People seem to really be playing this. The concurrent player base on Steam was insane for this campaign. So lots of people are clearly playing this right now. That makes me happy. I hope people are enjoying it. But anecdotally, just from hanging out with you guys on, on the stream on Monday night and everything over on Twitch, it doesn't seem like a lot of people are playing this. The Xbox On community seems to be very focused on... Um, on Batman and Plague Tale, especially Plague Tale is a big one. So I didn't play Plague Tale. I can't. I can't talk to that one. Right, speak to that one right now. But we will. We will get there in the future. I promise you that. So that's what I've been playing this weekend. Really excited to get into the multiplayer again later this weekend. Also trying to play something spooky this weekend for the holiday. We'll see how it goes. You know how free time is. You think you're gonna have some, and then you don't, and then it's time to go back to work. But until then, let's jump into the news and talk about what's going on in the world of Xbox. All right, let's jump into. This first big story, which uh, actually kind of came out shortly before we recorded, so I haven't had a lot of time to digest this one, so we're kind of coming in fresh. It's a two-parter. We got a couple things. All right, let's talk about Game Pass potentially slowing down subscriptions, that is, on Game Pass. All right, jumping into this, this is part one of a two-parter. Next, we're going to talk about potential price increases. Xbox Game Pass, and this is VGC, of course, always VGC, unless unless noted otherwise. Sometimes we use Mr. Jez Corden and the team over at Windows Central, but... We love you, VGC. Xbox Game Pass growth on console is, quote, slowing down, according to Microsoft's head of gaming, Phil Spencer, also known as the fucking CEO of gaming. Oh, my God. Speaking of the Wall Street Journal Tech Live, transcribed by The Verge of journalist Tom Warren. Shout out to Tom Warren. Uh, Spencer said that the company is seeing the PC version of Game Pass experience incredible growth while the console side of the business is starting to slow. Quote, I've seen the growth slow down mainly because this, at some point you've reached everybody on the console that wants to subscribe, he said. As of January 2022, Game Pass has over 25 million subscribers, according to Microsoft. The company recently claimed that part of the UK's investigation into the proposed Activision acquisition is that it's installed a base of 63 million consoles. Confused by that wording, the article says the company recently claimed that part of the UK's investigation to its proposed Activision acquisition is that it has an installed base of 63 million consoles. Activision? Microsoft? That would be Xbox on and sorry, that'd be Xbox One Series S and S combined or X and combined or I, I don't know. Let's continue on. In the same interview, Spencer claimed that Game Pass is 10 to 15 percent of its overall revenue and that the service is profitable for the company. Oh, oh don't look compassionate choice and and uh was it Burnfellow hear that? Sorry, guys. Both Microsoft and PlayStation have in the past said that they do not believe subscriptions will ever be the dominant model in video games. However, all right. That's the first half of it. So we see it slowing down a little bit. It's kind of like a passerby comment. 
But let's pair that with this and see what we can dissect. Because the second part of the story is that Microsoft's head of gaming, also known as the motherfucking CEO, uh, Phil Spencer, has suggested that Xbox consoles, games, and subscriptions may increase in price in the future. Again, continuing on with that Wall Street Journal Tech Live um, interview, the Xbox boss discussed the console's price point as well as the prospect of charging $70 for games, something most third-party publishers as well as rival Sony already do now. Quote, I think at some point we'll have to raise the price of certain things, Spencer said. But it's going into the holiday. But going into the holiday, we thought it was important to maintain the prices. He added, we've held the prices on our, our consoles. We've held the prices on our games and our subscription. I don't think we'll be able to do that forever. I do think at some point we'll have to raise some prices on certain things. That's the full quote. In August, citing the challenging global economic environment, Sony raised the, pl the price of a PS5 of the PS5 in Europe, Japan, and parts of North America, notably not the United States, which they deem their most important market. Wow, thanks, Sony. Thanks. Following Sony's announcement, the UK arms of both... Microsoft and Nintendo told VGC that they weren't currently planning on raising console prices. Microsoft has so far held firm that it's instead it's, it's seeing Xbox platform as a way to move players to its Game Pass service, which offers games for a monthly fee, including Xbox's own first-party titles and day of release. While some third-party publishers charge $70 or €70 Euro across both platforms, Microsoft's first-party games charge largely $60 bucks or €50. Euro. Substantial difference in price. However, due to Game Pass, the reliance on sales of individual games versus the value of Game Pass has largely decreased for Microsoft, with the company no longer promoting sales numbers and instead touting the number of users on Game Pass. Just last month, Spencer told CNBC that they believe that it wasn't the right time to increase the price of consoles. Quote, we've, and this was kind of in response to that Sony stuff with PS5, we've always evaluated our business going forward, so I don't think we can ever say on anything and that we'll never do something. But when we look at ourselves today and our consoles, and you talked about it, the Xbox Series X and S, we think the value is incredibly important. We love the position of the Series S in the market, which is our lowest cost console. On over half of our players that we're finding are coming through the Series S. Over half of our new players that we're finding are coming through Series S. That's believable. And I can definitely say that we have no plans today to raise the price of our consoles. We think that in time when our customers are more economically challenged and uncertain than ever, we don't think it's the right move for us at this point to raise the prices on the consoles. Okay, that's the end of the quote. Or that's the end of the story. The combined two stories. All right, let's talk about this. This might seem like an easy game of Connect the Dots. So maybe not like anything super crazy or mind bending here, but to me, at least it stands to reason that subscription numbers are starting to plateau on console. Obviously, they're growing really well on PC. That's good. That makes sense. It's relatively newish to PC to have Game Pass and, and a lot of PC players, massive market, massive pool of gamers, and they're getting a lot, a lot of value over there. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole different space, whole different ballgame, but starting to plateau on the subscription count for subscription count for consoles. And we're in this economic situation where inflation is out of control. People are losing jobs left and right. Things are super expensive. People are having a hard time you know, paying for things that used to be more manageable because everything just costs so much fucking money right now. What do we do? And for a lot of businesses, obviously, raising the prices is kind of an inevitability or just kind of an opportunity they can't pass up right now, you know, depending on the kind of business. Lots of companies that don't need to be raising prices that are because it's just okay to do so right now. Anyway, he here's the thing. I believe that Microsoft does not want to raise the price of the hardware. Let's, let's break this down into a couple of segments. Let's talk about the hardware, then the games, and then the subscription. I don't think Microsoft wants to to increase the prices of the hardware. And I think that's going to be the easiest one for them to just eat the cost on and not worry about. And I think for 100%, that's what they're going to do. I think it's such a big slam dunk win for Xbox to be like, oh, PlayStation raised the price of PS5? Yeah, we're not doing that. 
it's such a good look for them, especially in a market where, again, people are hurting from like money. Money's tight. Things are really expensive. Layoffs are starting to happen left and right, and it's gonna just increase and increase as we uh, head into 2023. Unfortunately, I'm not like I'm not saying this with like a sense of pride or like oh I predict like I this is an inevitable thing that is happening before our eyes, and it sucks fucking terrible but it's gonna be a great opportunity for companies like microsoft that can sustain the sale of consoles at a loss or at a slim margin of profit because they have fuck you money and don't necessarily need for the console market to be profitable for them to be making money off the sale of consoles does that make sense and potentially the bigger win is just getting your console at a lower price point to push more units to increase the pool of players you can get to subscribe to Game Pass or to have the optical win of good guy Microsoft. They kept prices low when Sony went high. They have the most affordable console on the market with the Series S while, you know, <laughs> while my while PlayStation said, hey, we're going up, you know, whatever it is, 50, it was like something between like 40 and 70 bucks or 40 and 70 euro, I, I believe. Uh, a PS5 o- over in certain markets, so it's a lot, right? And um, it, it, it's just it's just so obvious that you wouldn't want to give that up. And it doesn't have to be the end all be all. When Microsoft's major focus is trying to grow Game Pass, when Microsoft's major focus is trying to reach new players and new markets and, and compete with people who previously wouldn't give Xbox a try and put Xbox in places where people traditionally wouldn't expect it to be. Why would you raise the price of your console? That's just increasing the barrier entry. Right now, the whole point of the game is to lower the barrier entry as much as possible. And so I think the console price stays rock, rock solid. I, I think it, I think it's, I think 500, you know, here in the States, it's 500 for a Series X, 300 for a Series S. I don't think that's changing anytime soon. So I, I, I feel comfortable just moving right past that. Now, could it happen in the future? I, I guess it, anything's possible. It depends how how much worse things continue to get. But I think for for now, you know, for the foreseeable future, I think we're pretty safe at the price points we're at. Now, let's move on to the games. I think this one is a definite will move. Uh, absolutely. Now, it doesn't matter as much on Xbox, and that's part of what makes it so easy for Xbox to do. And I guess the same argument can be made to argue why it'd be so easy for them to just not raise the price. Because again, so much of their user base is going to get in on these games by subscribing to Game Pass. But you can think about it a couple ways. I think that we're not quite there because gamers seem super fucking pissed about $70 games, which I think is... You know, I understand more money is more money. It's not fun to pay more. But I think $70 for games, considering how expensive they are to make and and, and, and inflation and everything, I think $70 for most AAA games is more than reasonable. Personally, it's not a, a hill I want to die on. But I understand why it's upsetting to some people. But the thing is, you know, let's say Microsoft increases the price of games to 70 bucks. Starfield comes out next fall. It's $70 instead of 60 That's just more incentive for you to subscribe to Game Pass. It's like, oh, wait, games cost $70 instead of 60 now? Man, I might as well just... Can you imagine all the people out there who are, like, holding out, and they're just like, I like Game Pass, but I prefer to own my games. I'd rather buy my games so I own the copy, and, you know, if it ever leaves the service or whatever happens or the service goes away, I don't have to worry about losing access to the games because I bought them. Let's say there is a contingency of people like that. Increasing, increasing people's game price from 50 or 60 to $70... Uh, it could be it could be a good way to make them be like ah, fuck it I'm just I can't do this I'm I'm just jumping ship to Game Pass it's just too good too good of a value 
So this is, in a way, it, it helps, I think, move things. Because for people who are just going to be hell-bent on buying the game, they are now on price parity with everything else in the market. And for people who uh, don't want to pay that price, it's just a bigger advertisement for the thing you really want people invested in, which is Game Pass. So I think that's a no-brainer. I think that's a win-win. I think the fact that they didn't do it sooner is actually kind of surprising. I think for a long time what this was, and this is even before economic uncertainty and even before the, the Black Plague took place in 2020, I think a lot of why Xbox out the gate was like, hey, we're, um, we're going to keep that $60 price point for a while, I think had everything to do with we know the market is moving towards $70, but we don't want to be at the forefront of that. We want to kind of sit back, see how it goes, and then proceed from there. Because so much of Xbox's key to success right now is on being the good guy. You know, They fucked up so catastrophically in the Xbox One era that the way, the, the way of success is through being the most consumer-friendly, being the most pro-consumer brand, doing all the things for the fans, doing all the things that make the competition constantly look like assholes, and you constantly look like a good guy. And keeping your prices at sixty dollars while the other guys move up to seventy is a great is a great way for you to do that, and it's also a great way for you to test. Like if this thing is going to backfire and people are going to have to go back to sixty dollars, we'd rather be on the side of history where we never tried to jump to seventy in the first place. I think enough time has lapsed now where maybe we can agree that seventy dollars had to happen, and it's going to be where everyone ends up heading. And Xbox is here for it. Remember, if they if they finish this acquisition of Activision. Activision was one of the first companies to be like, oh, $70 instead of $60 for games? Hell yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. We'll do that. So, you know, if you're going to own Activision, you got to have some parity with one of your brands there, you know? Like, you got you got to do something about that. So there, there's that angle of it as well. I, I just think with all that plus inflation, how bad it's been, it, it's, it's kind of hard not to just take that easy extra $10 a game. Um, if you're Microsoft, it's just, it's there, it's money on the table. Everyone expects it. You know, even Ubisoft is, is finally transitioning to the $70 thing after they were staunch $60 supporters for a long time. It's just one of those things. It's an inevitable march towards the future. And we talked about how things like Game Pass and, and stuff can help us reach maybe a new future where there's more of an exploration of pricing tiers and everything doesn't have to be a $20 indie or a $70 AAA game. Maybe we can have a $50 game here, $70 game here, $60 game here, $40 game here, and we can just kind of have publishers and developers gauging price based on what they what they truly believe a game is worth rather than having to arbitrarily stick to like these numbers define whether or not we're a serious game or a small indie game you know so there was a while where that was kind of the thought method but i, I think we're more likely moving to the place where it's like nah games are 70 bucks fuck you <laughs> like it's they're expensive to make what do you want you know games that were 20 dollars are gonna be 30 dollars games that were 40 dollars are gonna be 50 dollars games that were 60 dollars are gonna be 70 dollars it's just kind of how how uh how, how it goes you know uh, I think there's a really high chance this ends up being the case. And then this is where we can start talking about the last part of the story in conjunction. Let's talk about the subscription aspect now. G- game Pass needs to continue to make more money. This is this is a really big turning point. Or turning point. This is a very big, yeah, this is a big point in Game Pass's growth, I think, where Game Pass gro- going up in price is not a potential. It's an inevitability. It's always been about when it will happen, not if it will happen. And so I, I don't think there's a chance in hell that Game Pass stays 10 to 15 bucks a month forever. And I don't know if that's in the form of maybe they say we are eliminating Game Pass in Xbox Live and now everything is just Game Pass Ultimate and Game Pass Ultimate is now just called Game Pass and everything is $15 a month. Maybe it's that. Maybe Game Pass Ultimate goes up to 20 bucks and regular Game Pass goes up to 15 or 12 or something like that. I don't know. But there's no chance in hell 
because I don't think Xbox Game Pass is all that profitable. There's no chance in hell it just stays 10 or 15 bucks forever. End of discussion. Bye. There's no way. The Game Pass is going to go up in price. But you got to do it at the right time. And on one hand, you know, during an economic recession, it's like the perfect time to do it because it's like, man, like where other things are underperforming as we're about to get into in the news uh, as we continue on the news. As some things are plateauing or underperforming or just not making the money they once made, we need to look for other revenue streams. And raising the price of your subscription is a great way to do that because these people are locked in on the price or locked in on the subscription anyway. So, you know, they're not going to leave because you raise their subscription fee two bucks or something like that. But on the other hand, if you do it too soon, it can look bad because if you're in a big growth stage where you're trying to get that majority of your player base in, in, invested in Game Pass, you want to do that while the price is as low as it's ever going to be. Hiring the price is once the is, is for when the service is in a mature phase. And I guess there's really no precedent for how that should work. I guess we're just kind of basing everything on how TV subscription services have done it. But you think about it, it's like Netflix didn't raise its price when it went, when it was like in mail-in order TV, DVD service stage, it, it did it when, when, when Netflix finally hit the point of like true ubiquity, when everyone fucking had Netflix, that's when they started raising the price. Because if they raised the price, it was like, yeah, that sucks, but we're all too got in, we're all too tied into the service to be able to just not subscribe to it anymore. And that's when you increase the price. So for Game Pass, I assume it's a similar thing. Maybe if you do it now, it's kind of bad timing because a lot of people who would would have maybe eventually gotten into Game Pass are going to say, eh, you raise the price, no thanks. But if you do it at a point where it's like mostly everyone you're ever going to get anyway is already invested in Game Pass, and then you raise the price, it doesn't matter. Because those people are so addicted and so reliant on Game Pass that they can't help but, you know, stick with it even if you change the price. So... And, and the thing that is hard to determine there is that even though Game Pass is massive and it's a huge talking point and everyone knows about it and many, many people have it and if you're on Xbox, it's like all we ever talk about. Even though that's the case, I still don't think Game Pass has fully hit its stride yet because, yeah, we've gotten great games in Game Pass. There's been no doubt some great value. Even this year, I think Game Pass has just been such a tremendous service, but we haven't had one of those years yet where it's like, oh, 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 so we got like Forza, we got Elder Scrolls, we got Halo, we got a fucking a, a game from um, the initiative, even though no one ever thought they'd be able to put out a game. You know, whenever we have one of those years where it's like we got six big AAA games this year in Game Pass, whenever you have a year like that, that is going to be that kind of like moment where Game Pass is really going to shine. I think Game Pass still has many uh opportunities of just massive quick expansion and growth in, in subscriber count um but we haven't gotten there yet because we just haven't had those quarters or, or years yet where there's been the opportunity for massive growth like that you think about like 2022 was probably not the best year for game pass on console because just not a lot of games came out but imagine if Activision had already been owned by Microsoft for a couple years at this point and all this stuff. Like, imagine if this, and nothing got delayed. Imagine if this year was like Redfall, Starfield, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 all came to Game Pass. Just boom, including your subscription. Imagine what a fucking, like, face-melting fall that could have been. If it was like uh, Redfall came out in August and then November was back-to-back Modern Warfare 2 and Starfield. Can you imagine how fucking fast Game Pass numbers, subscription numbers, would start just jumping, jumping, jumping? 
And so I feel like until they have one or two more examples of that happening, they haven't really started to penetrate like that maximum number of subscribers they're going to hit. And that's really when you want to start raising prices is after you capture that, not before. So that might be a little too in the weeds, a little too speculative, but I really do feel like that is kind of how this model needs to work. And so do I think Game Pass uh, price raising is inevitable? Oh, absolutely. I just don't think we're there yet. So to wrap it up, to sum up this story, what we've talked about, you know, Game Pass numbers are starting to slow. I think the increase in the price is inevitable, but I think we got to wait another year or two before we get there. Um, as for games, I think it's a it's more a matter of like whenever the fuck they feel like it. That could be a 2023 thing for all for all we know. It could be really soon when they when they go from 60 to 70 bucks, but I think that's an inevitability. And then for console pricing, I think console pricing is locked in. I think Microsoft really likes being able to say, "Oh, your especially to the European market, oh, your PlayStation costs uh 560 pounds now or whatever it is." Well, Here's the Xbox Series S. It's it's three hundred. Like fuck you. And uh, I I, th I think maybe if they had to eat a little cost to, to have that continue to be the narrative, I think it's worth it. You know. So I don't know. That's those first two stories, guys. Unfortunately, there's a lot of this kind of like data stuff coming out this week. So we don't get to just move on from here. We do have to talk a little bit more about financial reporting and stuff. Just one more time with this next story, and then I promise the rest of the news is about video games. Next up, let's talk about. Quarter one financial reports, VGC reports or relays. Microsoft's gaming business has reportedly had its best ever quarterly revenues for quarter one period of its second year in a row. On Tuesday, the company published its results for the first fiscal quarter ending in September 30th of this year. According to Microsoft, Xbox hardware revenue grew 13% and games revenue grew slightly at 4%. Meanwhile, Xbox content and services revenue declined despite growth in Xbox Game Pass subscriptions. The company said that it was due to the decline in first-party content, third-party content, lower engagement hours overall, and higher monetization. As noted by the independent analyst Dom's playing, the revenues represent an increase of around 0.47%, like, like half a percent, basically, year-on-year, year, making the quarter Xbox's best Q1 in terms of revenue. Speaking during, but only barely, really. <laughs> Speaking during a web call on Tuesday, transcribed by VGC, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella reported that the Strong performance for gaming off consoles. Quote, we saw usage grow across all platforms driven by the strength of consoles. Off consoles, uh, PC Game Pass subscriptions increased 159% year over year. And with cloud gaming, we're transforming how games are being distributed, played, and viewed. And more than 20 million people have used the service to stream games to date. As we look towards the holidays, we offer the best value in gaming with Game Pass and Xbox Series S. Nearly half of the Series S buyers are new to our ecosystem. So that's something Phil Spencer wanted to drive home, and now Satya Nadella also wants to talk about. This is a big this is a big sticking point for Microsoft, and I think it's so pertinent to what I was just saying about how I don't think these prices on consoles are changing one bit. Not not one bit. Series S is that box that you're gonna sell to people who've never played Xbox. And now they have the data to prove it, and now they're publicly talking about how that is exactly the case. Think about it. Xbox fans aren't interested in buying Series S. The only Xbox fans that are buying Xbox Series S are Xbox fans that are buying a second Xbox to keep in like their den or at their computer or maybe in the bedroom or something like that. It's their secondary Xbox. But like Xbox fans are buying Xbox Series X, no doubt. Like, how many of you listening are like, when, when the new consoles were announced, like, I gotta get my hands on that Series S and just fucking looked right past the Series X. Obviously, if you're an Xbox fan, if you're a repeat buyer, if you're a person who has been invested in this brand, you want the bigger, more capable, badass console. If, if it's the Series S, this is the entry point for people who have never played Xbox 
or for PlayStation players who want to dabble with Game Pass. You know, maybe last year there were a lot of people who were like, oh, yeah, you know, I used to play Xbox back in the day, back on the 360, but then PlayStation 4 came out, and then the internet told me I wasn't cool if I played Xbox One, so I bought a PS4 instead of an Xbox One. I left my Xbox 360 behind. I played PlayStation all generation. Now I bought PS5, and I played PlayStation all this generation, but you know what? That Halo Infinite looks kind of cool, or like, oh, I'm really intrigued about Starfield. I can't wait for that to come out. I got to give it a go. You know what? I'm going to buy a $300 Series S to go supplemental, supplementary uh, to my PC or my PS5 or whatever it is you're playing. And that's where the Series S firmly rests. It's also great for kids. You know, like you got a kid who's into gaming. Get them a fucking Series S, you know? Why, why would you buy them this, the $500 Series X? They don't need that. They're a fucking kid. Well, what do they care? They just want to play a game. They just want they just want to fucking play Roblox. They don't, they don't need a Series X. You know, they just want to play Fortnite. Um... Yeah, it's a way better investment for parents than buying a PS5. You got a kid who, for whatever reason, isn't looking at Nintendo or or maybe already has a Switch or and already has an iPad with a disgusting OtterBox case on it so they don't spill apple juice and, and goldfish crackers on it, you know? The best console to get this kid is going to be a Series S because that price is so fucking competitive. Also, you can get Game Pass. And now all of a sudden, the, the, the adults in the house and the kids in the house can enjoy this platform for dirt cheap, 15 bucks a month, $300 for the box. Now everyone can play it. And there's great games for everyone to be for everyone to enjoy. It's such a fucking value for families, people with young kids, people looking for a secondary supplemental box to their PC or their PS5, um, people who are just curious about Xbox but never really want to invest serious money in it, or Xbox fans who are just looking for like a secondary device so that they can watch YouTube in bed or something like that. I don't know. Whatever the case may be, clearly. Xbox Series S speaks to this broader market, and we all could have guessed it. We all have guessed it. We've talked about that on the show before. But now we're getting the confirmation from Microsoft that, yeah, Series S is exactly that box. And so we will talk about Series S a little more later in the news, so put a pin in that for the rest. Otherwise, these numbers are actually quite impressive because what they're basically saying is, like, hardware is steadily increasing because people are trying to buy these new consoles. They're still pretty hard to get. You know, for the most part, Series X does not stay in stock. Series S is pretty easy to get your hands on, but they sell. They constantly sell. They're, they're doing really well. So hardware is up. That's no surprise. The Obviously, the more disappointing numbers is the more plateauing in Game Pass subscriptions on console, as well as the decreased spending on, on, um, on games and things like that and in-app purchases and stuff. But that's because this year's kind of been a little bit of a dumpster fire if you're just looking for more mainstream generic gaming. I mean, you had Elden Ring early in the year. And now you got Modern Warfare 2 and Batman. It's like, if you're like a general gamer who just plays like a couple games here and there, this hasn't really been a big year for you. If you're like a hardcore gamer, you're looking for like nitty gritty shit, sure. Game Pass has had some great games. You know, we just got a new Plague Tale game. Nobody Saves the World is still my be my favorite game of the year by far. Fuck you if you don't agree. You can't have your own opinions. You must adopt my opinions. Just kidding. For those who don't understand sarcasm, I'm looking at you British people. But, um... It's, it's just one of those things where it's not been a particularly good year. We've been talking about it all year. So that's no surprise. Nobody expected that. Also, you got to consider still dealing with that. I think this year is probably the last year we're really going to see this as, as much as we have been. Where, remember, 2020 was kind of crazy. Everyone was indoors. Everyone was like, well, fuck, what am I going to do? I work from home. We don't go places. We don't do things anymore. I guess I'm buying an Xbox and playing video games. You know, everyone was just fucking spending $20 on skins in Warzone this time two years ago. Nowadays, people are like, hey, I can like, I can like put on too much cologne and go to the club and smell kind of bad good, you know, like, oh, let's do this. I don't need to play the Xbox anymore. So needless to say, it makes sense that that paired with a, a dearth of like really big, notable mainstream eye-catching games 
has resulted in lower uh, lower revenue in terms of people buying in-app purchases or DLC or battle passes and shit like this, right? So that's that's all to be expected, and it's kind of reasonable. Um, so the fact that they were still able to grow despite that, pretty decent numbers. I would really love to be able to compare these numbers to what PlayStation's going to post because I think that would be a lot more telling um, just to kind of compare the two because I'll tell you on PlayStation, it's probably been a better year because they've had some more console exclusives for sure. Or like big notable ones with like Horizon, they're about to get God of War, and they had Gran Turismo earlier this year. So for them, it's a little bit of a different story, and obviously their hardware is impossible to keep on store shelves. So it's uh, I'm sure it's mostly a similar story, but for Xbox, I mean, this is this is the result of them not having Starfield this year. You know, that's that's really what we're dealing with. But I, I think quarter two's you're going to see grow a lot because Modern Warfare and Batman are going to really push um, game sales of. Of course, a ton. I mean, holidays is always a you know, quarter two for Xbox is always huge because of the holidays. So, anyway, that's the update on money quarter uh, quarter one reports. Let's start talking about that. Let's start talking more about video games and, and, and things that are a little more per- pertinent in a moment to moment basis for us as as players of Xbox and not necessarily um, investors of Microsoft. Well, let's talk about a video game that Xbox fans probably mostly all love. And if you don't love it, you're not a real Xbox and you got to go pass go, not collect $200. You got to take the L. You got to get down on the knee. Remember that, that Skyrim meme from 10 years ago about like taking an arrow to the knee? I got to be honest. I played Skyrim for the first time last year. Loved it. And I still don't fucking understand that meme. But anyway, Fallout 4 will begin getting a... Sorry, Fallout 4 will be getting a free current-gen upgrade next year. Bethesda has announced this week. The update, which will be coming to Xbox Series S, X, PC, as well as PlayStation 5, will come in 2023 and will include a number of new features and improvements on performance. According to a blog post from the official Fallout website, the free update will include performance mode, featuring high frame rates, quality features for 4K resolution, gameplay, bug fixes, and even bonus content creation club. Blah. Fallout 4 was... A- Enhanced for Xbox Series uh, for Xbox One X last generation, which enabled the game to run at 4K 30 FPS. But the Xbox Series X and S version will be able to run the game at FPS boost setting enabled, which will increase the frame rate to 60 FPS. But that will drop the resolution to 1080p. But I'd rather have 60 1080 than 30 4K. It hopes that the upcoming update will make it possible to play the game with both resolution and frame rate enhanced. However, sorry. I totally read this wrong. So on Xbox One X, you could do 4K 30 or 1080 60 thanks to FPS boost. FPS boost. But thanks to this update for Series S and X and PS5, I don't know about Series S, but we'll see. The hope is that the upcoming update will make it possible to play the game with both 4K and 60 FPS. That would be great. That's kind of something we're getting as a standard on current consoles, so shouldn't be too hard to do with a game from 2015, but yeah. Also announced was the 25th anniversary bundle for Fallout 76, which includes the Vault Boy portrait, uh, shooting target suite, and Lincoln's repeater lever action skin. The 25th anniversary bundle can be claimed from October 27th until December 27th for Game Pass Ultimate members, and or from November 2nd until February 2nd for Amazon Prime gaming subscribers, because gross. Fallout debuted in 97 with the most recent entry in the 2015's Fallout 4, being the best-selling one. Shipped over 12 million copies worldwide from launch day alone, according to its publisher. What a big game. No doubt. And, uh, yeah. So, I guess the only thing I really... This could be a story of mild amusement, right? If it were just as simple as an isolated, like, oh, it's getting an update, right? It's cool. It plays into the narrative. We talked about this episode already. We talked about it in the past many times before. Good guy, Microsoft, just free updates. Oh, my God. That's so cool. You're always taking care of the customer. Here's the thing. 
in a world before Microsoft bought Bethesda, the approach to this kind of thing was like Skyrim Game of the Year Edition, Skyrim Xbox One Edition, Skyrim Alexa Edition, Skyrim Game of the Year Edition on Xbox One, Skyrim Game of the Year Edition on Xbox Series X, Skyrim Nintendo Switch Edition, Skyrim Mobile Phone Edition, Skyrim on a Newspaper Ad Edition, on and on and on. And every time, $60, $60, $60. But in a world where Xbox owns Bethesda, you take a game, not as big as Skyrim, but still very, very, very big, very massive game, very high-selling, highly uh, praised game, Fallout 4. And all of a sudden, similar thing, you know, it's basically like a game of the year, next-gen upgrade patch. And they're not selling this as the... uh, Fallout 4 Complete Edition for Xbox Series X, $70, please and thank you. They're selling this as the uh, free update. So it seems like the kind of thing we would normally get from Skyrim as a new Game of the Year edition for money, but as like a free thing. And I can't tell if this is like uh, Xbox is involved now, and so they just kind of do these things for free because optics and pro-consumer and trying to be the good guy Microsoft thing. Or if this is like Bethesda testing the waters, like maybe we should do these things for free. Let's kind of see how this goes over. That kind of seems stupid because it's like you, you know how that would go. Like what you, you don't need to test the waters on free shit. But then it's also like do they not see this as a big enough upgrade to package and sell? But by that same logic, it's like couldn't you say that for like seven of the 25 versions of, of Skyrim that have been released? And listen, I'm not part of that group that's like angry that they re-release Skyrim all the time. I get it. And, and I actually like appreciate Todd Howard's quote regarding that criticism where he's just like, listen, we keep reselling it and remaking it because you keep buying it. You know, it's like, yeah, no, that makes perfect fucking sense. And so do they have the telemetry, the support, an idea that like people wouldn't pay 40, 50 bucks for like a Fallout upgrade version or like $70 for a game of the year edition or like a next gen. I I don't know. Like I just can't get over the fact that there's no money involved. This is just free. You know, if you told me it was like uh, Gears or five is getting a update for blah, blah, blah for Xbox and it's free. It's like, yeah, of course that's what Xbox does. But now we're in weird territory because it's like, oh yeah, it's Fallout. That's like technically Microsoft owned, but it's Bethesda. It's like, so does this have Microsoft influence? Does this have Xbox influence on how this decision was made and whether or not to charge? I can't. And, and if so, it's like, what does that mean about all the Skyrim versions? Skyrim just got another version recently. Like, it's not like they stopped doing it. So it's it's odd in that respect. Do we appreciate it? Should we just take it and maybe not ask too many questions? Sure, yeah. But it is, um, it's notable nonetheless. And I wonder if maybe this is going to be a new trend for Bethesda going forward, where it's like, yeah, yeah, do that upgraded version. You don't got to charge for it. We'll just uh, consumer-friendly free upgrade. And also note that this is still coming to PlayStation 5. So, again, PlayStation, you're going to continue to get supported on these games. Stop freaking out all the time. You know, continue to support where games have been supported in the past. I don't think you're losing Call of Duty. If you're not even losing the free update to Fallout 4, I don't think you're losing Call of Duty. So, please, let's all de-escalate the situation her guns down and uh cool i I appreciate it's a cool update appreciate that it's free all right we got two more stories and even though these ones are at the bottom i actually think these are the two i'm most interested to talk about so i I try to order the stories in, in in you know in terms of what's most important technically but i think these last two are actually the ones that personally interest me the most so 
This is where like the real news begins for me. All right, let's get into it. VGC reports Microsoft's entry-level console, the Xbox Series S, is limiting the potential of new-gen games, a developer at indie studio uh, Bosa Studio Bossa Studios has argued. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, and now we're going to get like really into it because the story keeps persisting and growing. So let's, let's do this. Visual effects artist Ian McClure, McClure uh, made a claim on Twitter in response to a comment from veteran games journalist Jeff Gertzman, who said that he thinks the whole Series S is holding back next-gen games argument doesn't hold up. Quote, most of these games also come to PC and have already had to cover a wide variety of configurations, Gertzman points out. McClure, who worked on last year's Xbox Series S and X PC game I Am Fish uh, at, Bo- at Bosa Studios, uh, which is also the developer and publisher of Surgeon Simulator, responded with, It may sound broken, but the reason you are hearing it a lot right now is because many developers have been sitting up in meetings for the past year desperately trying to get the Series Series S launch requirements dropped. Studios have been through one development cycle where the Series S turned out to be an albatross around the neck of production, and now that games are firmly being developed with new consoles in mind, teams do not want to repeat the process, added McClure. Those tweets are publicly available earlier today, but have since been protected so only approved followers can now see them. At $300, the Xbox Series S console is significantly cheaper than the $500 Xbox Series X, thanks to the lower specs and the target of 1440p gaming instead of native 4K. In a series of since-deleted tweets last week, which were now initially sparked by the news, Gotham Knights won't have a performance option on consoles and will run at 30fps, Rocksteady senior character technical artist Lee Lee Devenald also claimed that the trade-offs need to be made because of Xbox Series S. Quote, I wish those gamers under... And this is the specific person we were referring to last week. I wish those gamers understood what 60 FPS means in terms of all the things that they lose to make games run that fast. Especially taking into account that we have current-gen consoles that's not much better than the last-gen one. Responding to the question about hardware bottlenecking, he singled out the Xbox Series S's GPU, noting that multi-platform games need to optimize for lowest uh, performer. We talked about that on the show. That makes sense. But uh, Devinald went on to claim that there is an entire generation of games hamstrung by this potato, referring to the Series S. Because Microsoft insists that games are that are released on both Series S and X, um, sorry, Microsoft insists that games are released on both Series S and the relatively more powerful Series X. Digital Foundry's Alexander uh, Bataglia claimed in May to have heard from some developers that memory constraints were making Series S a pain to work with. Quote, the video said, We've heard from multiple developers that the kind of feel for the Series S is a bit of a pain at times. Not that the CPU or GPU power there, but it's more that the memory constraints. In a game software development kit released in June, Microsoft said that it made hundreds of additional megabytes of memory available for the Series S developers. That gives the developers more control over the memory, which is improving graphic performance and memory constrained conditions, the platform holders said. So there is a lot to unpack here. There's a lot of directions we can take this story in. So... I always just like to start with the end because we just talked about some of that stuff. So let's maybe pick off some of these parts a little bit first before we dig into some more of the story. So, yeah, I think Microsoft said it was something like they freed up like 500 megabytes, basically, of of uh, memory on the console for developers to be able to use to help with like graphical performance and things like that. But I, I do want to focus on this conflicting report because the, the report, when we kind of mentioned this in passing last week, the report I was referring to was this... Um, Devin all guy from Rocksteady 
and those and those uh, claims have since been removed from Twitter, so we don't have that to refer to really in an official capacity anymore. He probably had that gotten taken down because I'm sure Xbox did not like that and probably reached out to WB or Rockstar and was like, hey, can we not have one of our, uh, our, our third-party partners like trashing us on the internet right now? Maybe not, please. I, I don't know. He probably got a lot of shit for posting that. But here's the thing is you got some people saying it's because of the GPU on the Series X. You got some uh, S. I really find that one hard to believe. You got some people saying it's because of the memory. I'm more inclined to believe it's the memory thing because that's the one that we know Xbox has already gone out of their way to already address. And also because the the thing about the Xbox Series S is it's like it's not targeting 4K gaming. It's targeting HD, just HD gaming, like uh, ultra, I guess 1440p, what do they call that, ultra HD? Or is that just like, I don't know, at this point 1440p is almost standard HD because 1080p is just starting to fall by the wayside. But it's HD gaming with 60 FPS. It's not, you know, it's not not powerful or anything, but it's just, it's not what the Series X is by any stretch of the imagination. And one of the roadblocks we come in contact with here and trying to divulge the story is that obviously, much in the way, I'm not a financial uh, analyst. I'm not a guy who can sit here and talk about with you know certainty whether or not Game Pass is profitable or not and, and justify my statements. I'm in no position here to talk about the hardware specs of these consoles and, and what it's like being in the trenches as a developer working for these platforms. I do mention all the time on the podcast the lowest common denominator thing. And this is the whole like... You know, if a game is also released on Xbox One, it can't be that good looking because even though on the Series X, sure, they can get it run at 60 FPS and put it in 4K, you still have to develop your game with the lowest common denominator in mind. The game has to run on the least powerful piece of hardware that's going to be released for. And in this case, a lot of times, I get it, it's the Series S. But kind of like Gersman saying earlier in the story... Yeah, man, like, you also got to hit minimum PC specs, too. And that's usually, like, a GT... What is it? A NVIDIA... Uh, a fucking NVIDIA uh, 10, 1060, is it? Or 1080 or whatever? Um, so it's, like, I don't know. That, that processor is, like, eight years old at this point. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. It, that, we're at a point with this argument where I definitely believe that having to hit a requirement for Xbox Series S is a pain for some developers. And, you know, we've seen a world where, for some developers, they may, they managed to make it work with uh, so effortlessly. You know, whether or not it was effortless to make it happen, that's yet to be seen. But, you know, you look at games like Forza Horizon 5, which is, like, jaw-dropping, fuck-you-stupid, beautiful-looking. And that game looks and runs wonderfully on the Xbox Series S. But then you got games like Gotham Knights which uh, can't fucking run at 60 FPS on an Xbox Series X. And I'm sorry, I know this is like so uh, maybe a little mean-spirited coming from someone who doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about hardware-wise, but I simply refuse to believe that Gotham Knights can't run at 60 FPS on the Xbox Series X and PS5. The fact that that game doesn't run at, Xbox, uh, at 60 FPS, and the more I think about this, the more strongly I feel this way, is frankly laughable. It's 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 embarrassing and it's it's kind of mean to your customers. It is it's like it's it's demeaning to your customers. It's like we we think we can pull a fast one over on you guys because fuck you. We said it's hard to make this game go at 60 FPS and you just gotta believe us because we're the guys who make the game and you're the guys who play the game. And who do you think knows more about what it takes to make the cake, you know, so to speak. So I I, I understand it makes me kind of look like a fucking idiot just making this claim, but I, I strongly feel that this is simply bullshit to think a game like Gotham Knights can't run at 60 FPS on current hardware. Now, that being said, knowing that the, the same people, you know, pe people responsible for games like this 
well, I guess it's Rocksteady, so these these are the Suicide Squad people, not the Gotham Knights people. We're talking about Montreal, uh, WB Montreal are the um, Gotham Knights people. But to think it's like that Xbox Series S is the problem, it just makes me wonder. It's like, well, maybe maybe it's you guys who can't get a game out in under eight or nine years who are more so the problem than uh, than the Xbox Series S, which uh, which yeah, is not as powerful as an Xbox Series X, but maybe it's a maybe it's a a technical limitation because you guys don't really know how to work with this hardware. I don't know. It's, it's hard to say because it does sound insensitive for someone who doesn't know much about these things to make, make these kinds of claims, but it's just, I don't know, man. It's just so weird. Like three, four, three can get halo infinite looking and running great on the Xbox one. No, 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 not the Xbox series S the Xbox one, the 2013 potato Xbox one. But the guys behind like these Arkham games are bitching and moaning about the series S not being powerful enough. It's like, I don't know, man. I find that a little hard to believe, but here's the thing is I'm not a game developer. I don't know uh, anything about development. I'm not in the trenches. I'm not working on these things directly hands-on every day. So I can't fully speak to it. But what I can say is this for developers to be out there championing championing for Microsoft to drop the requirement for a game to be able to run on Series S in order to also be released on X makes no sense. Because as we just talked about earlier in the show, the Xbox Series S is selling more than the Series X, and it's bringing on more people, or we they didn't say that, but we, we can assume it's selling more than the Series X, and that it will, because the cheaper option always sells more than the more expensive option. But new 50% of people who are being brought into the Xbox ecosystem for the first time are coming in through the Series S. And it is, whether you like it or not, part of Microsoft's console lineup, their current generation console lineup. They're not going to just abandon Series S. It's their value proposition. It's the thing to get people in the Game Pass. It's the thing to bring new people into the Xbox ecosystem, especially the hardware end of that market. Why the hell would they drop the requirement for third-party developers to make a game optimal and performant on on Series S, just so that you know developers can be like, oh, thank God, now we you can just put our Batman game on Series X and call it a day and just skip the Series S. That makes no fucking sense. You're leaving so much money on the table. It's a huge slap in the face to Microsoft. It, it sends the message that their their console isn't capable and that it's not current gen enough and that no one should buy it. The second a third party game or first party game releases and is on series x and not series s is the day the series s dies because it instills a complete lack of confidence in your consumer base to ever buy this platform that just might not get games that's so dumb it's like you know it's like when nintendo released that switch pro or whatever the other year and they're like oh it's just like a slightly nicer screen it's just like a little bit of this a little bit of that and people are like what do you mean it's not like a 4k switch and all it's like listen there's only so far Nintendo would even want to go with that without just doing a whole new next generation hardware piece of hardware because it's like you can't make the gap too big. Otherwise, all of a sudden, there's only one option on the market. Sure, you can sell, you can put Series S in a box and put it on store shelves. But the second that people can't buy all the regular Xbox games they can buy on Series X on the Series S is the day the Series S dies. Imagine that. Imagine literally being like, I bought my kid a Series S. 
when they, you know, a couple years ago, they got Fortnite and Roblox. They love it. We got Game Pass. It's great. And now they're on Game Pass and they're trying to like download this game. This game's like, sorry, not compatible with the Series S, but uh, you can buy a Series X and play it. It's like, what the fuck? I'm paying for the subscription service and some of the games don't even work on my console. And, ah, uh, man, I go to the store and I have to like read the labels to see which ones work. You can't do that. The problem is whether the Series S is a problem or not for developers, we're past that point. It's here. It's on the market. It's been sold to millions of people. It, it exists. And we have to live with it and work with it. And so I'm not here to say these developers are stupid or these developers are whiny and they don't know what they're talking about and they're just not very good at their jobs because they can't get things to optimize and perform properly. Although I think there's a conversation to be had about Gotham Knights in particular where it looks like they just really don't know how to optimize that game. I mean, they're dude, watch the fucking... There's some... I don't normally like to be that guy, but watch the fucking videos of like the comparisons of, of uh, 2015's Arkham Knight versus 2022's Gotham Knights and just see the graphical difference, the artistic design difference. Somehow the fucking game from 2015 in a lot of ways looks better than the game from now, the game that came out last week. It's insane. So there are potential, there's potential for this argument that's like maybe you guys just aren't really good at optimizing for different types of hardware. And I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it's easy to put your game on Series S. You know, your game that you're working on for high-end PCs and Xbox Series X, it's easy to put that thing on Series S. No, but I find it hard to believe that this little machine isn't capable of more than it's being given credit for. And if I'm wrong on that, fine, that is what it is. But like, bro, <laughs> it's here. You can't get away from it. Your option at this point is to either put the game on Xbox, at which point it's on both SKUs, S and X, or don't put your game on Xbox at all. That's really your option. Because you can't just not support the Series S. And so whether it's a good thing, whether it's a bad thing, whether this console is actually holding back the potential for developers, especially third-party developers, to really harness the full power of the Xbox Series X, I don't know. But you can't just ignore the S. It is there and it must be accounted for when you're making a game. And so this is the bed that has been laid or that has been made that all these developers must lay in if they want to put their games on Xbox. And that's just it, it's just as simple as that. And yeah, Xbox can and should continue to work on things to make it more efficient, make developer tools easier, better to understand, um, try to free up memory like they've already done. More things like that, if possible. As much of that as you can do as humanly possible, great. But at the end of the day, <laughs> you're stuck with Series S until the next Xbox comes out. It's pl plain and simple. That's all there is to it. And so I, I just, um, yeah, I, I just don't really know how else people can read that because I feel like there's going to be this whole false debate on whether or not they should continue to force people to support the Series S, but at the I just don't see how that's viable is, is really all there is to it. So we'll leave that story there. Fucking Gotham Knights. What an unfortunate situation that has turned out to be. The game seems like it's not in great shape. Uh, lots of people are not happy with it. Now, I do want to be sensitive to the fact that usually gamers like to over-exaggerate, so I'm sure the game is much better than people are giving it credit for, but it does seem like there are a lot of hiccups and issues with that game and things that didn't maybe didn't go as well as they should have for a game that's been in development for like a goddamn decade. But okay. And our last story of the week, Microsoft is looking, VGC of course, Microsoft is looking to for its own Genshin Impact-like game in order to appeal to a more Chinese market, according to a new report. Reuters noted that the company is accelerating plans to find an equivalent title to the actual role-playing game, which has seen over $4 billion of revenue uh, in the last two years for the Shanghai studio MiHoYo. Genshin Impact, an anime-style open-world game, it monetized through gacha mechanics in which players pay for the chance to earn special characters they can then use in-game. 
Daniel Ahmed, senior analyst and research for Nico Partners, told Reuters that the Chinese game developers are trying to standardize their development tools to create advanced procedures processes, uh, processes and invest in really large-scale teams. Ultimately, that helps provide them with competitive edges to reach a broad audience, both in terms of geography and platform. Reuters claims that the source indicated to them that Microsoft is scouting out Chinese market for new developers it could bring into the fold. So Microsoft is scouting out the Chinese market. The company is also allegedly wooing even independent studios for big money offers. While Sony doesn't own Genshin Impact IP, it did partner with the developer MiHoYo early in the game's development uh, and assisted bringing the game to market. The game is a PC mobile device exclusive, although the console version of the game is exclusively on PlayStation. It is understood that the game makes the majority of its money on mobile platforms, but the game is regularly at the top of the most free-to-play games on PlayStation. And according to Reuters, sources that Microsoft regrets uh, missing out on Genshin Impact and had briefly spoken with MiHoYo when Genshin was being development, being in de- was in development rather, but talks fell through. "Quote: Picking up Genshin Impact made Sony a lot of money," according to Reuters source, who uh, declined to be identified because of information not being public. All right, so this is interesting because I feel like we got some some interesting waters to tread here. This is another story we can we can we can go a couple different avenues. So obviously, I, I can see why Microsoft looks at Genshin Impact and says, "Shit, that was a big missed opportunity. We wish we got in on that." How how could you not? That game makes so much hand over fist money. It's garnering so much attention. It's one of the rare 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 rare, rare instances where something that was on mobile was really big, translated really well to console, and really captivated the console market. And that's not an easy thing to accomplish. And I don't think it's going to be easy to replicate. Obviously, we're seeing here Microsoft is throwing around money, independent and bigger studios in China, trying to find someone who can do something like this for the Xbox ecosystem. Here's where Microsoft's potential strong suit comes into play. Microsoft is about to acquire Activision. We always talk about Activision in terms of like Call of Duty and Warcraft. But there's a third pillar outside of Blizzard and Activision, which is possibly the biggest. Actually, is technically the biggest in terms of money's made, and that is King, the mobile publisher that Activision owns, the Candy Crush people, and also the fact that Call of Duty Mobile is a fucking massive mobile game that is co-made with uh, Activision teams and uh, actually Tencent. It's a Tencent game, unfortunately. And Microsoft is about to inherit all of this shit. And so, you know, my, my distaste for Tencent uh, aside, we got to talk about this just in terms of speculation, speculating where this goes. It's very possible that, you know, Microsoft acquires Activision with that. They get King and now they have all these new mobile avenues to explore. They have a relationship with Tencent through COD Mobile and all these things they can explore. What can we do to get a big mobile game from the Chinese market onto Xbox and or what can we do to create from the ground up a game that we think will be very popular with the Chinese market that we can then bring to Xbox? And you can see there have been attempts at games that they want to do like that. Like they teamed up with Sega, obviously a Japanese company, to bring Fantasy Star Online 2 to Xbox. Specifically in the West, only to Xbox. It's still not on PlayStation. Pretty big deal. Although I think they finally announced it's coming to PlayStation. I can't remember. But pretty big deal for a very long time. It was only on Xbox. And uh, obviously, you know, Japanese game, it's... it's very different kind of deal. Japanese games, even when they're huge, kind of like American games, they don't have really the uh, propensity or the or the history to be as big as something like 
a, ch- a Chinese mobile game or, or or just a mobile game in general. Um, so, but still, like obviously that was like a foray into trying to go to different markets and get something that they think could have legs and be like a big service for Xbox. And then we saw them do it with something a little more tried with Smilegate, Korean publisher, with getting with getting Crossfire X for Xbox. I think they thought that was a bigger deal or could have been a bigger deal, obviously, than it ended up being. I don't think they would have gone for the deal if they knew how things were going to turn out. But Crossfire, and you got to understand this, Crossfire is a fucking huge game, or at least it was. Millions and millions of players. It was bigger than Counter-Strike for a long-ass time. Huge in Asian markets and Russia, all over the world. Free-to-play online shooter game. I think there was a lot of potential Xbox saw in trying to bring that brand over to Xbox. Obviously, I think they went about it all wrong, and maybe that brand doesn't have enough strength here in the West, and maybe is past its prime, and a lot of other factors that ended up making that not really work out the way they hoped it would. But you can tell they've tried things. Um, what is that one that I, I, I really liked? Naraka Blade Point, uh, or Naraka, Naraka Blade Point, I think, came out a couple months ago. Chinese developed uh, Battle Royale, 60 player Battle Royale game. The game's fucking awesome. I really enjoyed uh, the couple weekends I spent playing that game. All these attempts, you can see it's Xbox trying to like test the waters, find these kinds of service games, find these developers and these publishers around the world, especially in Asian markets, and try to find something that might have legs and be 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 something that can kind of grow on Xbox and, and, and cross over into this new marketplace. And I, I f- think they've far from gotten close to where they want to be with it. But you can tell there's a desire. You can tell there's an re- a regret with Genshin Impact. There's no way. I mean, we keep seeing Genshin Impact show up at Sony events and just be this thing that keeps on going and going and going. And it's been conspicuously absent on Xbox the entire time. I actually didn't know that say, that Sony gave money towards the development of this game until this article came out today. So this is actually news to me. Um, and it would explain largely why it's never going to come to Xbox. But... Um, yeah, clearly Xbox wants this. And I think maybe something between having King from the Activision merger and a relationship with Tencent through COD Mobile and having COD Mobile, which is a huge mobile game, maybe this begins to um, become part of that. Maybe it's as simple as like trying to bring COD Mobile to console. I don't know. You don't want COD Mobile to really compete with your main Call of Duty games. I don't know. Who knows? You know, maybe that's something you can do. Honestly, like you have your regular Call of Duty games, Modern Warfare 2, Black Ops 5, whatever the fuck it is, right? And that's on PlayStation and Xbox, same as it's always been, right? Warzone on all the platforms, same as it's always been. But now you got Call of Duty Mobile, and you bring that to Xbox. So it's on Android, it's on iOS, it's on PC, it's on Xbox, but it's not on PlayStation, COD Mobile. I don't know, that could be one. You really work the game up so that it runs and works perfectly on console as well. That could be one for sure. I don't know. But now you have these relationships and you have these publishing arms and you have these different avenues for exploring this a little further. I think Xbox is probably just knowing how, how bad Xbox usually is at being like, hmm, Sony has this. We want one of those. And then usually not doing a good job. Like, see the initiative for an example on what I'm talking about knowing how bad Xbox is historically at this. They just throw money at things without really understanding who the best partners are. I think they're in a unique position finally to maybe have the right partners to work with and make something happen. Whether it's like a Genshin impact clone or COD mobile on console or something entirely new or finding some darling Chinese indie developer that can come make the next big thing that we all could never see coming until it's here. I don't know. 
But I think with this Activision acquisition, it's going to put Microsoft in a much better position and give them much better connections and opportunities to maybe start to make something happen. And, you know, I, hey, I hope at the end of the day it's not Tencent. I hope they don't work with Tencent. I hope they don't have to do some fucking supporting of their platforms uh, or of their, of their content, of their, their money on the Xbox platform because this is one of the only things about Xbox consolidating the market that I like is that it takes Activision, it takes Bethesda away from players like Tencent, but this is this is the thing. It's like there's a lot of money to be made in China, and and there's a, there's some ethical ways to go around it and about it, and then there are some. Well, there aren't many ethical ways to go about it, but there are some uh, ways that are more ethical than others to go about it. And uh, it's slippery slope, man. It could it could be that they just end up with fucking Tencent doing some shit. I don't know. But we'll have to continue to keep an eye out for this because there's no denying that Xbox is going to keep chasing this because there's just too much money in that market to ignore. And uh, I understand. Like, why why wouldn't they? All right, guys, that's going to do for all of our news this week. Let's jump into the important enough stories and stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warn their own discussions. We got a couple. We'll just blaze right through them. VGC reports. Hideo Kojima has claimed that what his one of his next games is going to be like a new medium. Speaking in an interview with The Guardian, the director spoke briefly about his upcoming project, saying that it's the mo- it's most like almost like a new medium. As in, if it exceeds, if it succeeds, it will turn things around, not just in the games industry, but in the movie industry as well. Very hoity-toity, very pretentious, very Hideo Kojima. Keep in mind, he could be talking about the Xbox game they're working on, but he also could be talking about that Death Stranding sequel that they're working on with Sony. So this could be an Xbox project. It could not be. But there's Hideo Kojima seeing some really uh, uh, self-congratulatory, self-important shit as per usual. VGC also reports that Amazon has released the first official glimpse of the Fallout TV show. A social media post published this week caught a congratulatory Bethesda celebrating the 25th anniversary post, which appeared to show a, shult, a shot, not a shult, a shot of a vault from the live-action show being produced for Amazon Prime Video, uh, being produced by. Kilter Films, a production company behind Westworld. Next up, VGC reports. For actually, a story from my favorite podcast I listen to. New Star Wars Eclipse details have reportedly emerged, claiming that the game will introduce a new race to the universe. Stories detailed include some of the main characters having also been described in a new report from podcast Sacred Symbols. The game was also announced during the... The game, which was announced during the Game Awards last year, is reportedly in very early production. And the game, as far as I can tell, quote, is not even really in production yet, said Sacred Symbols host Colin Moriarty. The podcast goes on to describe the documents that he has, uh, which appear to give an overview of one of the game's main characters. Quote, materials seen in the podcast describe the so-called Project S with a character named Sarah uh, as the lead. Sarah is described as an athletic 30-something-year-old and is in a, a member of a human-like race. The race is also the lead of some sort of empire called the Zeron, a race not seen in Star Wars before. Quote, it prides itself on a political and military aggression, and similarly uh, to what you find elsewhere in Star Wars, there's little differentiation between males and females when it comes to the roles and responsibilities, but there's an interesting wrinkle when Zeron marries the marries. Their nuptials carry interesting military implications as they become one governing unit that works together. This is a problem because Sarah is fanatical, true believer of violent, violence and Criminality regularly demonstrated by her empire. She's married to a character named Zendo, who is a far softer touch. Part of the game seems to revolve around the two characters and their relationship. The empire seemingly refers to Zaren faction. The empire is uh, seen during the Skywalker era of Star Wars Eclipse of Star Wars. Star Wars Eclipse is set to take place at least 200 years before the first movie. And it's unclear if the plot is one of the plots or the final plot or just something they used to pitch the game. 
but the game is very, very far off. We know they're still hiring for it. There's not much in development yet. So good good scoop from the Sacred Symbol crew. Uh, very interesting synopsis if, if that ends up being what we get in the final product. But we will find out in 37 years when the game comes out. Next up, VGC reports, Ryu Gagodoku Studio Boss has credited subscription services like Game Pass for Yakuza's growth in the West. In fact, speaking in a recent interview with Twinfinite, RP... Uh, RGG's Masayoshi Yokoyama said that, quote, in terms of audience, I think the West has especially increased. It's hard to tell if that's thanks to the multi-platform or it's because we changed the genre protagonist of Yakuza Like a Dragon as new stories or both. Personally, I do think uh, Game Pass and other subscriptions, allowing people to pay, uh, play previous games over the years, have contributed largely to our increase in audience. No surprise there. That's how I found you guys. VGC Next reports that 4J Studios have announced that they have started to publish video games. The Scottish team, which was founded in 05, has focused solely on development for the past on a, a single game for the past 17 years, most notably as a developer responsible for the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo versions of Minecraft. However, following the investment fund launch in March of 2021, the team is now ready to become a publisher. First game they're publishing is Sky Tales, a Dundee-based studio uh, puny astronaut. Okay, next up, VGC reports that when Marvel Midnight Suns Season Pass will add several new characters, including Morbius, Deadpool, Venom, and Storm as playable characters and post-release content. I put this in there because I feel like we never fucking hear about Battle Passes anymore. That feels like a throwback. I just picture myself going to college, listening to my IGN podcast, hearing them talk about fucking like Dragon Age podcast or, or Battle Passes or not Battle Passes, Season Passes. Or some shit like that. It just seems like such a bygone era thing at this point. It's very early Xbox One, um, as as we now live in the world of strictly um, strictly battle passes. Anyway, next up, VGC reports Bioware have reportedly uh, po- or have posted a blog giving an update on Dragon Age Dreadwolf, the next game of the series. Posted by the on their website, Gary McKay, Bioware general manager, revealed that the blog uh, that they have reached alpha status on the game, saying the entire game is playable from start to finish. We can now see, hear, feel, and play everything in a cohesive experience. So, hey, alpha stage, that means the game is somewhere along. But still, you've never showed this game. You just keep talking about it and never showing it. So, I don't care. Show the game. Next up, VGC reports Sniper Ghost Warrior and Lords of the Fallen Studio CI Games has outlined plans for the next five years, which include a live service shooter and survival game. So stay tuned for more on those. And finally, VGC reports that The Sims and SimCity creator Will Wright has revealed a new project, a blockchain game that supports NFTs. Fuck you. Guys, that is going to do it for all of our news this week. We're done with the news. The news is over. The news is dead. The news will never come back. They will not do news next week. Instead, next week, they will do a recap on the movie Black Adam. Please do not be sad. Big podcast. I don't know how the hell it's gone on this long, but let's round out the show now. Uh, with our comments. You know how it goes. You head on over to youtube.com slash C slash Xbox on podcast. Hit subscribe while you're there. We're trying to hit 1,000. We're getting close. Please do do that. And then you click on the latest episode of the podcast. You leave a comment. You can say anything you want. Say something nice. Like, Jesse, you're very good at doing the podcast every week. I like that you don't miss a week and it comes out and I can listen to it. Or you can leave a mean comment and say, Jesse, your comment, your podcast sucks. You're bad at math. You got to cut your fingernails. Everyone's kind of looking at you weird. Why the hell you got the air set to 73 when it's 74 outside? It's kind of weird. Just open a fucking window, you dumbass. What's going on, idiot? And I'll be like, damn. Thanks for the comment. Unfortunately, we didn't get any comments like that this week, but we did get the following. On the topic of Gotham Knights, Mr. Malg writes in and says, I didn't think about it until now, but the benefit of launching the campaign early. Wait, no, this isn't on Gotham. Wait, yeah, this is on Modern Warfare 2 and Gotham Knights. 
The benefit to launching the campaign early makes more people actually play the campaign. Huh. I'm also curious on whether or not Gotham Knights is warranted or not. The hate for it, that is. I'm annoyed by the lack of 60 FPS, but I'm also wondering if this is one of those games where the narrative is just to hate on it. I'm waiting for the game to price uh, price drop because I don't support $70 games. Well, Mr. Maug, I think that's a fair point. Again, I, I, I try to touch on it a little bit as well, but thanks for bringing it up because you're, you're right. There is... This is how the games industry works. And I and I want to be mindful of that because I end up being the guy who likes a lot of these games that get shit on. I fucking love Halo 5. I don't see why people have to act like it's an actual trap. So fucking annoying, dude. Halo 5 is like objectively pound for pound a very, very good first-person shooter. You can say what you want about your opinions on whether or not it's a good direction for the franchise, but it's like objectively a fantastic AAA, well-polished first-person shooter that is an example of what can be done in that in that in that genre, in that space. And people act like it is a piece of trash, worthless, completely irredeemable piece of garbage because a lot of famous YouTubers and people on Twitter and Halo community people are just like, we're supposed to hate Halo 5. That's the dumb game. Locke was dumb. It's like, you guys are so fucking lame. Like, no one can be like critical thinking. And I, I understand. Sometimes it's frustrating. It's like, it feels like no one out there can think critically enough to be like, hmm, this product is a creative product that is the result of hard work from a large team of people and it has pros and cons and as an adult who has consumed enough media in my lifetime has thought and reflected on things I have experienced, I'm able to dissect the things I do and don't like about this product and render a complicated yet personalized verdict based on my interpretation of the thing that is before me. Unfortunately, we don't have that reality a whole lot or so, so it doesn't seem. So I do want to be sensitive to that because I think you make a really good uh, point, Mr. Maug, it's a very critical point. I want to make sure there's something I try to be um, mindful of because I'm 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 actually sometimes insecure that maybe I'm promoting for people when they listen to this podcast with my humor, my stupidity that I'm promoting for people to be mean just for the sake of being mean. Like it's very important that people try to think critically and have opinions because. I can't for the life of me. I, I haven't played Gotham Knights. I'm not going to play it anymore. Like I'm just not interested in it anymore. Maybe one day I'll, that will change. But I went from mildly interested to I don't really give a shit. I, I got other things to play. I'm good. But listen, for all, you know, I mentioned like look at the video of Gotham Knights compared to Arkham Knights from 2015. The game looks like shit compared to that visually. Whatever. For all the criticisms for the 30 FPS, there's no denying that if I were to play Gotham Knights and try to give it an actual uh, like uh, like scholarly review on what the game is from all the way down to the nuts and bolts of it. There's no denying that you would find a lot of good. I'm sure it is a very good game in some ways. I'm sure, you know, it seems like one of the things people do uh, praise is the writing is really good. I'm sure there are elements of the gameplay that are very good. I'm sure there's really impressive stuff visually as far as certain aspects go. I don't know. I haven't experienced the game for myself, but I'm sure there's a lot to love. But people get so bogged down in the whole, like, this game that should have been awesome was kind of disappointing. That game sucks. It's 30 FPS. The art style is not as impressive as a game that came out eight years before it. It's got some, like, f like live service type gameplay mechanics, but it's not a live service game. This game is trash. One of my favorite YouTubers gave it a bad review. I saw some hot takes on Twitter. So now my opinion about it is this game fucking sucks, even though I never played it and I never will. So very good point. I, re I really do want to make that distinction. I think it's very important. Listen, man, in 2008, I, I was head over heels in love with Sonic Unleashed. I thought, wow, this game is so fucking amazing. I just want to play it and think about it all the goddamn time. And I remember really fixating on it and being sad because like 
GameSpot and IGN and all the big outlets at the time were giving the game 3 out of 10, 4 out of 10. Its Metacritic score, I think, was like a 4.4 or something like that. And I just remember being like, man, I, I, that's so reductive. This score, the stupid arbitrary number is so reductive because people don't understand that this game is like a 9 out of 10 for me, a 10 out of 10 for me but not for the same reasons that it's a 4 out of 10 for these guys. And we got to we gotta be able to use words and in our interpretations and in our experiences with products to be able to really articulate what is good or bad about it. It's, 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 it's quite disappointing. It's, it's reductive for us to just be like, ah, oh, that game's trash. Hey, are you going to play the new Batman game? Oh, I heard that game's trash, man. It's like, shut, shut the fuck up, dude. <laughs> I heard it's disappointing, but I'm sure there's a lot to love. It's a fucking game. Now, does that mean it deserves your $70 and 35 hours of gameplay and your, all your undivided attention? Maybe not. Maybe it hasn't earned it, you know? There are other games coming out right now that seem to be a little more deserving. It looks like Plague Tale's doing pretty well for itself, so I get that. But let's try to back off on the whole, this game's trash, man. All right. After contributing to the problem, I am now correcting the problem, as you pointed out. Thank you, Mr. Maug. You are a good person. I hope you now get 74 uh, street credit score and that... Next time you come in contact with an attractive person, uh, they will they will strike up a conversation and ask you out for coffee. Next up, let's talk about the good shit. Sam Torres writes in, the best commenter we have because he's talking about the good shit. He says, you do this show. You tell me about the double steak burrito. I eat it, okay? Second best Taco Bell item ever. If a service champion ever asks me any, late, any last requests, I'm telling him double steak burrito First of all, stop. Sam Torres, glad you loved it. It is fucking phenomenal. Second best Taco Bell item ever. That's high praise. What's your first? Is it the Chicken Chalupa Supreme? Because that's what it should be. But I'm glad you liked it. Continuing on, you say, next. Those meet your heroes things are punctuated by the how they say, that's nice. It's great when you realize, or when you went and grazed in Wolfgang Puck's presence, but he is part of a master race of Austrian chefs slash wrestlers. Had you taken one of your elderly table guests and suplexed him into a ramekin of rondel sauce? I don't even know what rondel sauce is. In front of Wolfgang Puck, he would have recognized your greatness and shouted, fuck man, Xbox on. Anyways, enough swine poetry. We get this. Sonic Frontiers fever is in our household. Feels like Sonic Unleashed all over again. My kids are rambling inco 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 sorry, incoherently, and all I can make out is the boost music grind, etc. It's like the possession scene from Exorcist, but I don't dress like a priest. Great show. Sam Torres, thank you. You wrote in good things about the Taco Bell burrito. You're excited about Sonic Frontiers. Clearly, you're a good father because your kids are excited about Sonic Frontiers. You're a good man through and through. And also... Thank you for your comments about Wolfgang Puck. Listen, he's a good man. I'm pretty sure he's just hard hearing because he's an old guy. I was in a loud restaurant, and I only have two tones. I'm one of those people where it's like I'm either way too quiet, you can't hear me, I'm mumbling, or I'm way too fucking loud, shut it off, man. Like, calm down. So in my defense, I was nervous. I was I was, I was awkward as all hell. Much less, yeah, much more so than being nervous. I was just awkward. I'm just, dude, I, if I don't have anything to say to a person, I hate social interaction so much because I, I don't like small talk. I don't like saying something just to say something. Like I, If I don't have something to say, I don't want to talk, okay? And uh, Wolfgang Puck, listen, he's a good guy, okay? I'm defending him. He's a good guy. Next time I meet him, it will go differently. Trust me. I'll go to Spago. I will I will, I will do what, I, what it takes. I'll go all the way to California just to dine in his restaurant and meet him again and be like, hey, hey, bro. And I'll fist bump him. It'll be all good. But listen, man, Sonic Frontiers, holy fuck, it's less than two weeks away. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Sonic Frontiers, you guys are sleeping on what is undoubtedly going to be the best game of the year. You're all fucking stupid. Plague Tale this. Batman that. Callisto Protocol. Elden Ring. 
Guys, it's all about Sonic Frontiers. We need to support more Japanese games on Xbox. If you want to send the message that we want to support Japanese content on the Xbox, you need to play Sonic Frontiers. It's the best game ever, and it hasn't even come out yet. Next up, Obsidian coming back to Fallout. Kronky writes in, as a massive fan of Fallout and Obsidian, I'd love to see them make another game in that franchise, but honestly, I prefer they just kept doing what they're doing. I love the Outer Worlds, and I can't wait to see what they do with Avowed. Seems promising. Also, they kept putting out these indie titles at the same time. I don't want them to be forced to make uh, to pump out a Fallout game just because of popular demand. Let the devs do their thing. Kronky, I have nothing to say to this other than, yeah, amen, right on. Exactly right. That's that's what we should all want. It's, it's fun to want the thing we love to come back, and sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's just... Uh, it's creatively stifling. So I, I agree. Just let them do what they're doing. I think I think we're, we have a lot of fallout to go. Listen, uh, uh, hopefully knock on wood, assuming we all get to stay on this earth a little longer, we got a lot more fallout in the bag. It's just not here right this second. We got to wait a little bit. So I, I, I don't think there's much of a problem here. I think it's just patience is a virtue. And if you can patiently accept the fact that fallout's not going to be here today, then you have a lot of really unique new IP that you can make new memories with and enjoy for their own unique strengths uh, in, in the coming years as we do. I, I just can't, I can't wait for Avowed. I think Avowed looks so good. Compassionate Choice LLC writes in and says, I seen Black Adam over Halloween ends. I have no idea what that means, but wow. You just, you just named two movies I have no concept of, but I, I keep hearing about Black Adam. Kronky rounds this up and says, I got to step in. Halloween Ends is awesome. All three of the new ones are fantastic. Headhunting Halo is insane. Rob Zombie Halloween films are the worst by such a ridiculously long mile. Well, I have no idea what that means, but you guys wanted to end my podcast talking about Halloween Ends and Black Adam, and all I gotta say is, what the fuck are you saying? I watched Disney Channel's Under Wraps this past week. You wanna know what I'm watching for Halloween? You wanna know how I'm prepping? I watched the latest and greatest Disney Channel original movie, Halloween Under Wraps 2, directed by headhunting halo quite possibly i don't know don't fact check me on that but guys that's going to do it for all of our comments and everything this week i don't know how it ended up being a long podcast it just always happens when we have like shows like whenever we have one of these news weeks we're like oh that's not too much two and a half hours i don't know fuck it but modern warfare 2 is about to be here on multiplayer i'm so excited for that then we got sonic after that it's a good time babies girls enjoy your batman enjoy your uh enjoy your uh plague tale Please play some Modern Warfare. Please play some Sonic Frontiers. I'm making devil horns with my hands, baby. Let's do this. Fucking live and learn. There will be no uh, something for tomorrow in this. Will we ever find our way? So until next week, guys, happy Halloween. It's Halloween. Best holiday of the year. Hope you guys have a great time. Enjoy some trick-or-treating with your kids if you got them. Enjoy some trick-or-treating with some kids you borrow if you got to do that. Sometimes you got to do that if you want to go trick-or-treating. You got to borrow a kid for a night. Take them trick-or-treating. Steal their candy. It's a good time. And if you're just staying in watching some spooky movies, make sure you eat some pizza. And until next week, guys, take care, be safe, be well, game on, and power your dreams. Uh-huh.